This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. What is up, everybody? Welcome to a Friday edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk heading into the Banjo Bowl. Great to have you with us, Andrew Patterson, along with Michael Remus. We've got a lot to chop up today. Eddie Tate from BlueBombers.com will join us. We'll discuss who's in, who's out for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and look ahead to tomorrow's rematch between the Prairie Rivals. Cannot wait for that. Brandon Rewicki is going to pop by. We'll get his takes on uh, the upcoming Jets rookie tournament out in Penticton, as well as Jets training camp and a few news and notes from around the National Hockey League and certainly get Brandon's thoughts on the upcoming weekend in the National Football League and Bombers Riders. And then a little later on, NFL is back and so is Hacksaw. Lee Hacksaw Hamilton with the NFL Notebook, and we'll uh, look ahead to some of the biggest games on the slate for the first full Sunday of action for this NFL season. And of course, it's Friday. You know what that means. Stick around to the end of the program with us live on YouTube and join us for our Friday marble race with uh, another hoodie up for grabs, courtesy of our great friends over at Canadian Club. Um, we got to get to last night's Bills win over the Rams. And of course, the big one tomorrow between the Bombers and the Riders. But before we do that, a big thanks to the sponsors that make this show happen each and every day, including Not Auto Corp, Princess Auto, Cool Bet, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, our friends at Little Brown Jug, Assiniboia Downs, Breezy Band, Canadian Club Whiskey, Boston Pizza, F Apparel, Royal Sports, Culligan Water, Aikens Lake, Wallace and Wallace. Vita Health and our newest sponsor, the Great Gang over at Consolidated Supply. Welcome to everybody in the chat right now with us live on YouTube. If you're new around these parts, make sure you hit that red subscribe button and join us daily Monday to Friday at 1 p.m. And of course, if you're watching on YouTube, you could also get the show wherever you get your podcasts by simply searching Winnipeg Sports Talk and uh hit that subscribe button. It's completely free and I'll throw your auto downloads on. And as soon as the new material is out you'll get it straight up into your inbox uh let's get this show on the road we got the not auto corp but why not question of the day to get to and a big one last night to chop up before we start talking bombers riders michael remus what's going on the weekend is here one of my favorite weekends of the year banjo bowl weekend weekend weekends here i'm fired up however i do need to let you know i think i think i've been targeted by uh vandalism Attack someone sending a message to Winnipeg Sports Talk. They're not happy with our takes. Maybe we said the wrong thing yesterday. Really? I went to throw out some garbage at my uh, garbage can in my back lane, and someone left a box toilet there for me. <laughs> Full box toilet for me to deal with, not mine. Someone didn't want to dispose of it. I don't know if they're calling us like piece piece of poo or whatnot, <laughs> saying your takes. Was, was it written on the side know. of the box? This is for your takes. Yeah, uh, I don't <laughs> there's know. Nothing so. written on the side of the toilet. <laughs> Anyone wants to help me get rid of this so I don't have to drive to the dump to throw this toilet that's not mine. Um, I mean, I'm hey, if I had was my toilet, I would be happily happily get rid of it. But I don't have a truck. I got things to do. I got to put up podcasts. 
I don't know. I, I'm really disappointed. Uh, that about Do you this. have an action plan for this yet? Uh, what 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 is going to happen with this toilet? Is it just sitting there? If anyone needs a toilet, should they just patrol the back lanes of uh, the River Heights area yeah. and uh, see if they can yeah. grab it? Whoa, whoa, you don't want to say say where I live, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's a free <laughs> toilet, I guess. Uh, it's crazy, <laughs> crazy. So I I had to get that out there. I don't know how to deal with this thing. Listen, I think we might need a TikTok of you disposing of this or just looking at mm. it, pondering what the hell am I going to do? And now, do you have the action plan yet? I mean, or is this no, just I haven't still done there anything? And... I'm, I got work to do. Like, I don't have time to throw to toilet. <laughs> this is mine. This is crazy. Listen, whether you like the takes or not, we don't need any extra toilets. Thank you very much, folks. Um, well, that was an interesting way to start the program. Interesting way to start the NFL season last night. What a beatdown of the Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams at home. Bills Mafia stepping up. And, man, those L.A. teams. I, I know the Chargers get a lot of grief for always basically being a road team in their home stadium when they're playing. Wasn't far off last night for a team that just won the Super Bowl. Um, we talked a lot yesterday about the Buffalo Bills and how they were the sexy pick to win the Super Bowl. And it's actually kind of a perfect time to get into our why not question of the day coming out of last night's game because um, we spent a lot of time talking about the upcoming NFL season, mentioning that the Bills had been, you know, pretty much ending up as a clear favorite to uh, be the Super Bowl winners. Uh, the not Why not question of the day today for our friends at Why Not Auto Corp is if you weren't on the Bills before as a Super Bowl favorite, did last night change your mind? Because that was an absolute clinic that that team put on. I mean, Josh Allen was phenomenal. Um, you know, although he did have a couple turnovers earlier in the game, and that was really the only way the Rams got in the game, tying it up at 10 going into the half on that 57-yarder from Matt Gay just going into the locker room. But, man, the second half was a complete domination by the Buffalo Bills. And Remo was impressive as the offense was, and I think the offense was expected. To me, the story of the game was Vaughn Miller's addition to the Buffalo Bills defense, seven sacks of Matthew Stafford, and a Bills defense that at least in week one looked like it was very much up to the task of going up against the NFL's best all season long. Yes, I um, I was feeling shame the whole night because you asked me <laughs> on the end of the show, who am I taking? And I was like, well, the Rams are the Super Bowl champions. They're at home, home dogs. Home dogs is usually... The play, but they did not have any time to throw the football. And Von Miller, I mean, he's guy's a legendary player. He's been on multiple Super Bowl teams, uh, elite pass rusher. And Stafford just had no time all day. I know Allen Robinson uh, truthers are very upset that he didn't even get targeted, but I think it might have been because he just didn't have time to throw. Um, I was pretty su pretty surprised at just the lack of uh, offense there from. From the Rams, but maybe the this is a different Bills team than last season. Speaking of the Bills, you know, I was all about uh, Gabe Davis last year. He had that big playoff game, and when he was in, you know, they had all injuries all season. He was pretty good, but like, is he the number one guy now? And for the what for uh, the Bills, this guy is awesome. Uh, I mean, well, they're, they're I receivers mean, and Diggs too. Like, like Diggs is no still the guy. I mean, Diggs had eight catches, I believe, for 122 yards and a touchdown. I have to admit, I love to see. I mean, Jalen Ramsey talks a lot all game long. 
he got it back last night from Stefan Diggs. But uh, yeah, I mean, the Gabe Davis four touchdown game in the playoffs was basically forgotten because of what Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs did coming back with the final 13 seconds and winning that game in overtime. And still no one could believe that the Bills lost that game, uh, but they did. And that performance by Gabe Davis was kind of forgotten. But I did hear an interview with Stefan Diggs earlier this week about the upcoming season. And Diggs offered out to fantasy players, take Gabe Davis. Um, and I did yesterday in our picks in the lock shop. Gabe Davis, anytime touchdown, plus 135. Got that one about six minutes into the game. And it was a great start for the lock shop. We had the Bills on the spread and the under. Both came through. If it wasn't for that final Devin Singletary run to go over the uh, 46 and a half, would have had a clean sweep. But a very good start in the lock shop. We will have our big Friday episode later on today. Dustin Nielsen's actually just coming into Winnipeg. We're going to get together downtown at BP a little later on this afternoon. Crank that one out. So uh, if you do like the betting content, talking NFL and more, subscribe to the lock shop wherever you get it. But um, yeah, man, I, I mean, listen, offensively, Diggs was incredible, and it all starts with Josh Allen. And we saw all of the reasons why Josh Allen is one of the favorites for MVP of this league last night. Um, Passing-wise, he was brilliant. Obviously, there was that one off Isaiah McKenzie that got picked and another one that he'd like to have back. But the combination of that rocket arm, the weapons that he has, and his ability to run the football, um, that is an absolute... They are a scary, scary football team. Uh, but the guys that might be the most scared right now are linebackers and secondary members of upcoming Bills opponents because that stiff arm that he dropped on one of the Rams defenders last night while literally laughing at the guy um, was a moment that I think everyone remembers from last night. And uh, almost that was a great exclamation point or maybe a, a, an encapsulation of the way the Bills Push the Rams around on both sides of the football for the better part of last night. Man, Josh Allen, he is a monster. Six foot five, 237 pounds. He's got the rocket arm, but yeah, I mean, he's basically their goal line running back. It reminded me of, uh, I think the Red Blacks tried to do this with Dom Davis, just run him like three times towards the end zone. Now, Allen's a lot bigger than Davis, and they don't have to play one yard off the ball in the NFL, but, um, you know, late in that game, they just slammed him towards. Um, the engineer, he tries faking a throw. You got to respect the arm and runs in, puts it over over the line, and and that's it. You saw the stiff arm. Uh, yeah, this guy is a monster, Josh Allen. And I'm, you know, I know it's one game, but uh, and I had the Chargers. I like Justin Herbert too. He's also got a good arm. But uh, watch out for the Bills. Uh, this is the Bills' revenge tour after uh, last year's defeat to KC. Yeah, I won't be making all the picks on the show today. We'll save that for the lock shop later on, but we will go through some of the lines. It's a real interesting week one slate in the NFL. And I don't know, I'm not in a survivor pool yet this year. I actually would like to go on. If anyone, uh, if anyone's running one, send an invite my way and uh, I'll try and get in before that. No obvious picks. I mean, there's no double digit spreads. And to be honest, even in week one, we've seen those go awry quickly um, because often what we... Remember from last season is very much different by the time we get to NFL kickoff. So uh, we'll hit that a little bit later on. But you know what? We just did, you know, we're talking about the Bills for the why not question of the day. And shout out to our friends at Not Autocorp, Waverly and McGilvery, online at not.ca. But just before we get to the Banjo Bowl, Reem, I was watching the game with a few of the boys last night. 
and obviously we're talking about NFL week one on Sunday and how excited everyone is to be a part of the big party that is the Banjo Bowl. And I was just mentioning, I've said this before on the show, that this is one of my favorite weekends of the year. And we started kicking around. I basically put in, if you take out long weekends, because long weekends by definition are, you know, you get an extra day off, you can maybe travel, get away a little bit more. But if you take away long weekends, what what's the best weekend of the year? And the more I think about it, this weekend, at least if you're a Winif- if you're a big football fan living in a place like Winnipeg, <clears throat> to me this weekend might be at the top of the list. Obviously, we've got a game tonight. Uh, we had the opening game yesterday. Everyone's in a good mood if you're a football fan. Tomorrow, a CFL triple header. College football is back, but the main event: Bombers, Riders, Banjo Bowl, IG Field. Following that up with the first full slate of National Football League games. I don't know, for my money, this is right up there. And I'm trying to think of other weekends that don't come as a quote-unquote long weekend that can really touch this one. Okay, I got, there's there's two other contenders. Um, April, and first of all, it used to be um, NHL, the EA Sports game used to come out on like the Monday of the first NFL weekend. So they'd always have that late Monday game and then I'd go get the game at like midnight <laughs> while it's like Chargers, Raiders, being called by the ESPN C team and you have to yeah, watch it. That's right. Um, the other weekend's April <laughs> with Masters weekend and baseball starting out and um, hockey playoffs normally. Uh, that's that, usually the Good Friday weekend, though. That technically oh. isn't that Easter weekend. I mean, uh, I, yeah. I, I seem to remember. I don't no, know. Maybe that depends. I don't. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. That's Isn't that March? I think that's March. Easter, isn't that? That's a March thing. No, no, no. Well, I mean, Good Friday basically is the Good day Friday that we're talking about. Good Friday is the day. No, no. Good Friday is April. Isn't it March? I mean, I, w- I don't know. I just see it pop up on the calendar. Uh, anyways. You know when you don't have to work that day. I know when I don't have to work, much. but like, I don't know like when Good Friday is. You couldn't, I couldn't tell you. Um, the other one is October, the NHL opening weekend. You got football, uh, hockey, baseball playoffs as well. Those are the other. In terms of sports weekends, I think those are your three contenders. But NFL opening weekend, it's it's a blast. I'm already. I told you, I've arranged childcare. Going to be sitting on the couch. <laughs> Have you looked into? Yeah. Is there any daycares that go just seven days a week? Is there any way that you could make that no. happen? No, that's not. <laughs> not a thing. Come on, you got to at least assume your responsibility as a parent. Come on. Well, and yet you've done a very good job in clearing the schedule and clearing the the responsibilities for week one of the National Football League coming up on Sunday. (laughs) Hey, I'm going to be there um, other parts of the day. I can clean out a three-hour block to watch part of the games. Come on. Yeah. Okay. We are one bird is right. Yeah. Good Friday does move around. Like it's not just on a particular day every year. I just find that it's often Masters week. Um, so you have the opportunity to watch the Friday round, but I think that happens. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. I always love the weekend or the week, I should say in between Christmas and new year's. Um, and and part of that is just, you know, usually being here in Winnipeg, usually the jets or before the moose would have a couple games and you'd hook up with a whole bunch of friends and family that are back from out of town, living elsewhere that are back for the holidays. Um, it's always quite festive, but uh, when it comes to festive, I don't know if it's gonna we're gonna get much better than we're gonna have tomorrow, Remo, because um this stadium is going to be bananas. I know the Princess Auto Tailgate party will be packed beforehand. 
And, um, I mean, listen, you can pretty much count on a few things every year for the Canadian Football League season. Uh, right at the top of the list is that you're going to have a hell of a great time one way or the other going to the Labor Day Classic and then the rematch here in Winnipeg. And I cannot wait to see how the squad comes back after that big win last weekend in Saskatchewan um, and obviously tries to get a much better start than they did spotting the riders to a 14 nothing lead last weekend before coming back with that huge output in the second quarter it's kind of funny um mm-hmm. you look at the you know you always like to even for people who don't like gambling i think it is important to look at the gambling lines so you get a gauge on you know what p- people expect about the closeness uh, of the game and last week you know i think the bombers were three and a half yep. point favorites but they were on the road, and the rule generally is you get three extra points for being at home, so that kind of holds true this week, although the Bombers are favored by 7.5, and, and I do think the crowd is going to have a huge impact. You heard Dembski, you know, the other day, yesterday's show, you missed it, tune into that, um, talk about, you know, how much they love it and how much it does affect the other team. I, I do think the, the Bombers' defense will have a big game. I'll have to see how the offense goes, but... Uh, we did get one tweet, Huss, about the Bombers wearing the yes. wearing wearing the third jerseys, the this. double stripes for the back-to-back. We we have to talk about it. I mean, are those jerseys? They, I mean, they have one loss in the season, and they were wearing the only game they wore those jerseys. Um, should we be concerned heading into the Banjo Bowl about that? No, uh, I don't believe we should. I like those jerseys. I think they look great. Reminding everyone who the two-time back-to-back champions are. But if we want to go back to that Montreal game and relitigate it, we don't need to. That was not the jerseys that was part of the curse. That was the wave. That was the wave at the end of the game. I put the video. I took it as it happened. What are we doing here, people? And I think that created the bad karma or vibes that ended up with that unbelievably weird way to lose a football game. Um, So... I support the jerseys. I'll be wearing one tomorrow, and I don't think we have to worry about that at all. But um, again, as much as it's going to be packed and fun tomorrow, let's not get any waves going until hopefully the game is comfortably in hand in the fourth quarter, and then go nuts. Um, Speaking of jerseys, you can pick yours up at Royal Sports, and the guys are having their last tent sale of the year as well this weekend. We'll tell you about that a little bit later on. Um, We're going to have Eddie Tate come up and join us right away. Looking forward to that. Um, All right, listen, before we bring in Ed, I want to give a big thanks to our friends at Consolidated Supply for jumping on. Spicy Joe and the gang, always great to have sponsors that are also big-time WST listeners. And the guys at Consolidated Supply have been listening and with us from day one, and it's just so great to have them on board. Check out their website at cte.ca. You've known them as the leaders in irrigation and artificial turf for years in and around here. And of course, the club car dealer for all things golf carts. I mean, they're renting golf cars for big events and as well as things far beyond your traditional golf cart. They've got six seaters, things to use in warehouses. If you've got a needs for other vehicles like that, certainly hit them up. Um, but over the last year, they've really expanded some of their offerings, including well, you want to have a great backyard to go with that putting green you're putting in. How about an outdoor kitchen and how about a hot tub? Both uh, big, big sellers right now over at Consolidated Supply. If you want to take your backyard to the next level, to elite status, talk to Joe and the gang down at 
consolidated supply. They're at 1395 Niagara Road East, or you can give them a call at 470-3832. And as I mentioned, cte.ca online. Great stuff with their newest sponsor, Consolidated Supply. Uh, our folks at Vita Health are ready for the change of seasons, if you will, uh, because 12 months a year, Vita Health Fresh Market stock with Winnipeg's best selection of local, organic, and natural groceries, supplements, and beauty products, all at great prices, with an expert staff trained on these products to help you get exactly what you need. And hey, if you're into organic produce or local grass-fed meats, and a great grab-and-go deli for folks on the run with delicious and healthy Vita Health Vita Market salads and sandwiches. They've got you covered. Seven locations in Winnipeg, including the newest store in Linden Ridge. And you can check out all their offerings on their fully shoppable website online at myvita.ca. Uh, Remo's got his garage door fixed thanks to our friends at Wallace & Wallace. I mean, for years, many people have just thought of Wallace & Wallace as the clear-cut leader for everything fencing when it comes to the city and province. But you might not know that they're also um, working with Clopay, the largest manufacturer of uh, garage doors in the world, with 161 styles of garage doors to choose from. There certainly is one that's a perfect fit for your home. Uh, and speaking of doors, if you might not know, but a new garage door can add up to 4% to the value of your home. And despite supply chain challenges, you can still get a beautiful new garage door delivered and installed within four weeks just in time for back-to-school hockey tryouts and all the craziness that is to come. Find out more at wallacedoors.com, hit them up on the phone, or pop down and see them in person at their showroom over on Lawson Road. And a big thanks to our friends at Aikens Lake for our wonderful fishing trip earlier this year. A couple more weeks of the season on the water for the gang out at Aikens, but they're already planning for a big 2023. If you're thinking about an amazing fly-in fishing experience where you can be on the water in less than two hours from the city of Winnipeg, and as great as the fishing is, the people and the hospitality, even better. Talk to my good friend Pitt Turen, AkinsLake.com, or on socials at Aikens Lake and find out more about making a plan to get out to Aikens Lake next year. All right, main event this weekend is tomorrow afternoon. Bombers, Riders, the annual Banjo Bowl. And we head now to IG Field and welcome in our good friend Eddie Tate before the big one tomorrow. Edward, what is up? How are you doing? I'm fantastic. How are you? Thanks for having me on, man. Hey, the pleasure is all ours. Always like to get ready for big games with you. And uh, there's no bigger one on the calendar when we get the regular season every year than the annual visit of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders the week following the Labor Day game. Um, hey, just before we talk about this week, I mean, you were, of course, in Regina last week. What a what a wild one. I mean, an incredible comeback by the Bombers after a pretty rough start and two very different halves in the game where we had a ton of points early and then it was that elite Bomber defense putting their foot down, allowing only one point. And um, it was a good thing because the Bombers didn't score very much. I mean, both defenses really tightened up. It became a field position game. But once again, the little things matter, and the Bombers do the little things better than anybody else, and that came out with a win on the road to start off the back-to-back. -back. Yeah, I was uh, trying to figure out before the game how many Labor Day games I had covered, and I think that was my 30th, and boy, it looked like so many of the others, right? It, it, when it started, Winnipeg was down 14 nothing early, and, and I thought, oh, here we go again. I've seen this movie a zillion times. <laughs> and they kind of stabilized, got it right again in the second half, and you're right, then the second half of the game uh, became 
really it was a battle for field position. And when you only give up a punt single in this league, that's saying something about how your defense is going. Um, it, those games are never easy, no matter the records uh, for Winnipeg going in there. And I thought they handled it really well. And, and you, when you mention attention to detail, I think the biggest one that you're probably alluding to, Huss, is that the penalty problems Saskatchewan had, and they had some bad ones. And perhaps the biggest one was the the Duke Williams penalty on the sidelines for a guy that taunting somebody that's not even dressed. Um, that was was a massive penalty at a bad time for them. But um, those are the things you're right that when you're a championship team, you take uh, particular uh, pay a particular attention to during the week, and we saw that. We've seen that since Mike O'Shea took over, and that, that's what happens on a game like that. Um, you know, the, there's one team that's being has a higher football IQ in a lot of ways. You know, I had a great chat with Nick Dembski on the show yesterday, and I, I said to Nick, I said, hey, what do you think would happen if a guy, you know, in a tight game that wasn't dressed got in somebody's face on the bomber sideline and took a 10-yard penalty to push and turn a second and three into a second and 13? He sort of laughed and said, well... I don't want to speak for Mike O'Shea, but I kind of doubt he'd be there the next day. And I mean, it just speaks to what the Bombers have built, the expectations and the standard that Winnipeg has. And that's made them a championship team. And it's been far from it in Saskatchewan so far this year. And maybe the guy that's taken the most heat was, and I say this was in past tense, Garrett Marino, who had another one of his trademark cheap shots at the end of the game, taking advantage of Zach Caleros after a handoff to put him on the turf. Um, were you surprised that Marino got cut? Um, and, and I guess, it, I mean, from my opinion, I think the Riders had to do this. I mean, I think they, it was probably long overdue um, because that has some effects in your own locker room too when a guy's doing things like that. But um, that yeah. would have been a big, big story of him coming in. I know there were already signs made to quote unquote welcome Marino here, uh, but he won't be <laughs> part of the story on uh, uh, tomorrow afternoon now that he's been released. Yeah, it's too bad. I would have liked to have seen those signs. Um... <laughs> Look, we're talking about a guy that had nine tackles and a sack in eight games. So it's not like he was lighting it up, but it was the extracurricular stuff that you're talking about. That play where he lit up Zach at the end of that pitch. Uh, you know, I'll be honest, I, I'm watching the game from the press box. I have the television feed on my laptop as I'm watching, and I'm watching the rest of the play, and I never saw it at first. And um, when we went down to do post-game interviews, not a lot of people had, had seen it yet. I know that Coach O'Shea had, but when um, Zach did his uh, post-game media scrum, he hadn't seen it yet. Um, and then the more I watched it, at first you want to give the benefit of the doubt. You're trying not to get, you know, see it as a, you know, a guy with a past sort of record or a reputation and the fact that it's a rider guy. You're trying to look at it objectively. And my first reaction was, ah, maybe just a football play, but then I watched it again and again and again, and I, you know, it's not just a football play. And then given his history, um, I, you know, I give the writers credit for doing what they did, whether that came from pressure from the league, I'm not sure, but you, you're right. Hustle. It's more than just what we see uh, happening on the field. There's an impact of that in the dressing room. When a guy says things and, you know, when he did to, to Jeremiah Mazzoli and then says some things he did, uh, apparently that doesn't go over well. And there's, there's a fine line. Most guys will go for to war for the guy beside him in, in the dressing room. But when you cross a line, you start to lose that kind of support. And when you start to take penalties that hurt your team, that, that camaraderie in the 
in the locker room is lost a little bit. And I think that uh, that's where the Rough Riders were with Garrett Marino. They were at a dangerous place. You know, there's a, they can find another guy that can get nine tackles in eight games. So um, it's, uh, I guess it, for a lot of people, it was surprising that it took this long to happen. Um, you know, uh, and I guess that's all I'll say about it because he's not a blue bomber. He's, he's, he's moved on. I, I'm, I'm not sure we'll see him again in this league. Yeah, well, certainly after uh, we heard about the um, memo that Randy Ambrosi sent out to every team, yeah, I wouldn't expect it. And you know what? To be honest, the Canadian Football League doesn't need guys like that. Uh, it, it, you know, it looks bad on the league. It looks bad on the organization. And I think that's been part of the ups and downs that Saskatchewan's had so far this season. All that being said, Ed, that was a game that could have absolutely gone either way. I thought Cody Fajardo had a really strong game overall. And they certainly ran the football very effectively. So much so that Ryder fans were calling for Jason Moss's head after they didn't run the football when they had it deep in bomber territory. And we know how that ended up. Um, we'll get to the roster in a minute, but um, I'd imagine that this week watching tape, the ability to keep Hickson in check a little bit better than they did last week might be near the top of the priority list on the defensive side of the football. Yeah, the, I was talking to Richie Hall about this yesterday, the Bombers defense coordinator. So as you saw, Saskatchewan came out in that game with a lot of six-man front, whether it was a fullback or an extra offensive line, and it was clearly their uh, intention to pound the football, and they did it very effectively early. I think uh, he that Frankie Hickson had 60 or 50-some yards early, but then in his last carries, few carries into the second half, he only had about 30, so... The average went down significantly. It wasn't anything that the Bombers had done wrong with their scheme. Richie Hall just said that they they weren't where they were supposed to be. They weren't assignment sound, and that and that hurt them. Um, you know, but I could tell that Richie was still steamed about it when I talked about him yesterday because he's not usually this graphic. But he said twice they they jammed the ball up our butt. They jammed the ball up our butt. <laughs> okay, that's that's a good descriptor. Uh, thanks, Richie. Um, uh, <laughs> Uh, but he, you could tell he was he was steamed about it, and uh, you know they gave up a couple of chunk plays too, where Cody Fajardo does that patented spin move outside of the, the the defensive end to buy extra time and was able to deliver strikes. I'm sure they want to clean that up too. Um, but like you said earlier, Huss, when we got started here, when it really mattered, that defense came up with that that pick from Nick Hallett. That was a massive play. I mean, you know, when you hold a team in this league to a punt single in the final 30 minutes, that's saying something. And if you go past maybe after the ride, I'll have to break this down myself, but after the riders got up 14 nothing, I'd like to see what their offensive numbers were and, you know, their first down production, their run production, because uh, it certainly changed after the Bombers finally figured out what they were supposed to do with against that six-man front. Ed Tate of BlueBombers.com. I mean, the other great story from the Winnipeg side of things coming out was the game that Mark Leggio had. And, you know, of course, the nature of the job is, um, you know, you they won't talk very much about the kicker until something goes terribly wrong. And that, of course, happened in the Montreal game. But I don't know about you. I asked Westy about this. What was a bigger play for the Bombers, the 55-yard kick or the Barry Sanders juke move he did to avoid the punt, a sure punt block down 10 in the first half. And, and Westy being the kicker, I think focused on the confidence level of what it does for Legio and the team to see him score those winning points the way that he did. But I got to tell you, Ed, 
that move that he made to avoid a sure punt block that could have ended up in the Bombers' end zone at that point in the game, to me, was one of a handful of the most impactful plays in the entire football game. You make a good point. So first of all, I got to say this. You, you made the reference to the Barry Sanders deke. You know I'm a Vikings fan. If you Google Barry Sanders highlights, I guarantee you 80% of them are against the Vikings. So <laughs> when you use that reference, it's like a knife in the back. So I'm going to call it a Charles Roberts deep. Sure, okay? sure. How about that? <laughs> we'll go there. <laughs> Please don't bring up Barry Sanders to me. It's it's crushing. Um, okay, now that I got that off my chest, I appreciate you letting me rant there for a second. Um it was a hell of a play. Look, remember there was a game here against Calgary early in the summer where Calgary brought the big-time pressure on a punt, too, and Mark tried to run for the first down and got stopped short. Um, that move, that's a kind of a, just a natural athletic instinct kind of move. When you see that right in your face and you pull it down and then move up, he played some rugby. He referenced that after the, uh, after the game. He was joking about that's his rugby days coming back to, to the forefront. But that was a huge play. You're right. Uh, the 55-yarder is amazing because of what had happened in the game. They ultimately are the winning points. But with the Bombers down by 10, if that punt gets stuffed, um, that, that's more points on the board for the Riders. And there's a danger that they get too far ahead of a, in a game like that. And I, this is, again, the Labor Day snowball effect, right? If you fall behind there, it's really hard to come back because everything else just swallows you up. Um, I'm, I'm happy for Mark Leggio because – after that Montreal game, he missed a couple of kicks. A lot of guys would have just, uh, you know, taken their gear off and hid in their locker and gone home. He uh, he wanted to do the media uh, post game to take ownership for it. When we came back after the bye week, the first day of practice, he met with the media again to take ownership of it again. So um, he's got some mental toughness, you know. And, and I'm I think there's a lot of people that that wanted him uh, cut after that Montreal game. And I don't think they're saying the same thing after watching that 55-yarder go through the uprights. Well, no. And, I mean, it, again, it just goes back to the nature of the job. Right. I mean, he was 18 of 20 on the season. I mean, with the exception of the second half in BC in a game that the Bombers were running out, they were completely inconsequential misses. For field goals, he'd been great all year. He had misses a couple of, uh, of extra points. But, um, you know, when the spotlight is on you, and essentially it is the difference between winning and losing – um, people go to some of those spots, you know, because again, it's a performance-based industry, but his performance overall has been solid, but you know, those guys are going to eventually be judged on the big plays at the big moments in the big game. And um, for Mark Leggio, that 55 yarder, not only for a win for his football team last weekend in, you know, a huge rivalry game, but also going forward, I think, you know, has to boost the confidence of the coaching staff and the teammates in the guy that, in all likelihood, is going to be leaned on again. The Bombers haven't been killing everyone this year. They played a lot of close games. Impactful kicks will be a part of the story the rest of this season and certainly in the playoffs. Yeah, you know, it's a great point. It's not just about the confidence he gets back. It's about the confidence the rest of the room and the coaching staff gets in him too. You know, uh, we've talked about this before. At, at this point in his career, it, it is a black and white business. And it unfortunately... You need kicks like that to get people off your back. You've got to make game winners. That's just the way that that position works. 
And but every game, every kick becomes a referendum on your career, right? It's a, does it go through the uprights? Yes, he's great. If it doesn't go through, he's he's bad. We got to cut him. And you you referenced that this you know we get into the second half of the season and into November and last year December. I mean, I keep coming back to this. Sergio Garcia and uh, Sergio Castillo in the Grey Cup, right? Five for five. That was the difference in a game that went into overtime. He, he, a lot of people, and myself included, thought he could have been the MVP in that game. So they're going to need the guy to make some big kicks. And you're right, the games are tighter. This uh, team isn't as dominant as it was last year, even though it's 11-1. and one. Um, And so th- they're going to need Mark Leggio to be big and continue to do those things. I'm not sure you can ask him to trot him out and ask him to hit a 55 yarder when the ball is frozen at the end of November, but you can ask him to make some 40 yarders and, and do it consistently. Well, uh, and of course we focus in tomorrow. How was practice uh, this week? I mean, it's always interesting when it's back to back weeks. <laughs> that was another thing that Dick Dembski said is that, listen, man, we can only watch so much of the same film. I mean, we know who we're playing. We know what we got to do. Um, you know, a lot of it was, you know, a relatively quick turnaround from a Sunday game to a Saturday game. And I'm feeling that as good as possible, but um, there were some guys working back into the lineup, and we do have the depth chart now. Interesting mm-hmm. to see a Janarian Grant coming back. I mean, that's a big, big addition to the return game. Um, fill us in a little bit on what's happened this week in between games and uh, how that shows up on the uh, roster for tomorrow's game. Well, the interesting thing here, Huss, is that uh, Michael Couture and Brandon Alexander got a lot of work this week, but they're not in the lineup yet. Um, and that will frustrate some people, but you know, you have to trust that uh, the medical staff knows what they're doing. Um, you know, at the end of practice the other day, the practice was closed yesterday. The end of practice on Wednesday, Couture is wearing a big kind of cast thing on his arm that he, uh, the, he injured and he was getting extra work with the, Cam Lawson and Jake Thomas just snapping and working against defensive tackles, you know, get your the snap and get up and get into your your stance. And so I guess he's just not quite ready yet. Same thing with Brandon Alexander. He practiced, but um, they're being very cautious. We're talking about two really good players and you don't want to rush them back. And they're, look, they're 11-1 right now without them. So there isn't a panic to get them back. So th- that's one of the things that's interesting. We're talking about the depth chart and their names aren't on it, but um, you mentioned Janarian Grant. That's a big one because the Bombers got by uh, with Nick Taylor and Jamal Parker and uh, returning kicks. Evan Holm did a pretty good job in the Labor Day Classic. Uh, but Janarian Grant's a difference maker, right? And it doesn't necessarily mean you're taking it to the house. It's about flipping the field and field position. He's really important to get him back. Noah Hallett, Nick Hallett's brother, is back. He hasn't played since last November. He blew his knee out, so the, getting him back is big. And then, uh, you know, the Adric Hansen, uh, as we all saw last week, has suffered an Achilles injury, so he's out for a while. They added two players recently that are on the lineup, in the lineup for tomorrow's game. A defensive end, Juan Cooper, who played at uh, South Dakota State. You look at his, uh, I was looking at his YouTube highlights earlier. He is quick, defensive end. And then JT Hassel, pretty uh, uh, inspirational story. Uh, he's played in the NFL. Uh, but he was born with a birth defect and he's only got two fingers on one hand, but it didn't stop him from playing in, in the NFL. He's got a punt block in the NFL. He's a really good special teams player. And Mike O'Shea just said in his press conference a few minutes ago that uh, they really liked how dedicated he was. The minute he got into the building here, he wanted to learn as much as possible. And they think he could make a pretty good impression right away on special teams. 
I'm glad you clarified that bit about Cooper because I'll be honest, I haven't seen many defensive ends wearing number 22. Right. Uh, I was sort of thinking he was in the secondary until you until you explained that. That is great. And listen, speaking of special teams, Theodric Hansen, I mean, it, it's amazing how the Bombers have just dominated that global draft. I mean, you know, before it was just a lot of teams picking punters or kickers. Right. I mean, you know, we've got three players that have contributed through the global draft, but Hansen in particular has been, you know, a demon on special teams, a guy that's helped in on the, on the defensive side of the football as well. And, um, you know, the loss of him, I think is somewhat impactful, especially when, you know, Mike Miller has been dealing with he, what he's been dealing with. And we know that, you know, especially if you're looking to win consistently and do it in all three phases, the special teams aspect of the game for the Bombers has always been something that, you know, they've taken pride in it as being an advantage for. And, you know, that will be difficult to kind of move on, but a big opportunity for somebody else, maybe the two guys that you just mentioned. Yeah, I think the difference with Hanson, you're right, like Mike Miller's the all-time best at that, right? And But every team's got guys like Nick Hallett and, uh, you know, guys that run down the field, Reddick Cram, the uh, Shane Goche that make plays on special teams, Tanner Kedwallader. There's there's guys that are always going to be uh, getting down the field and 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 making tackles. What the Adric Hansen did was he was defensive end size, uh, linebacker speed, and he just had a mean streak. He was like a bulldozer when he got downfield, and I think he actually was an int- intimidating force for the Bombers, and that. He would run down and people would have their heads on their swivel. We all remember that play from the 2019 Grey Cup. He does that all the time where he's blowing people up. And so that there's a physical component to not just, it's not just about making uh, the tackle or staying in your lane. It's about who can get down the field and bulldoze things and break the wedge. And boy, if you just uh, had an ISO cam on, on Theatric Hansen and what he did on special teams, I think we'd all be blown away at just how much of a force he was. So, that is a, a really, a, it's a tough injury for for him and for the Bombers and their special teams, but also their defensive line rotation. You're right, though, about the, their depth at that position. Les Maruo has been getting a lot of reps at linebacker, uh, not just on special teams. So the, the, he, he, he's been on the lineup for, for a long time. They've been dressing two globals for most of the year. So to to have him as your globals with the Adric uh, not being available is it's it's hardly a drop off. Uh, Eddie uh, Brandon O'Leary Orange is in the lineup. Uh, he'll be behind Wolitarski, and it's really been the usual suspects there. Uh, I am wondering though, any uh, signs of Greg Ellingson over the course of this week? Uh, do we have any idea about you know where he's at with his injury and when he might be back in as uh, in the active roster? Well. The unfortunate thing is that he's not practicing yet, and that's always the first thing. Like, at least yeah. Brandon Alexander and Michael Couture are practicing. I'm just checking here as we're talking. Greg's still listed on the six-game injured list, um, whereas Alexander and Michael Couture are on the one-game injured list. But that doesn't mean they couldn't pull him off. So the Bombers of this game, they're in Hamilton next week, and then there's the bye. Um, I guess you'd cross your fingers that he would be back for that game after the bye week, which is Saskatchewan again. Uh, and boy, they need, it would, you know, again, you're 11 and one, so you're getting by, but if you can add a guy like Ellingson into your receiving core, it just makes them that much more dangerous, uh, you know, in for October and November. And, uh, I'm not going to say they need him back, but boy, they'd be, uh, they'd be doing some cartwheels if they did get him back soon. Yeah. And I mean, it's been a weird season for Ellingson because he has missed some considerable time, but when he's in, he has been the go-to guy for, Zach Caleros, and we've spent so much time talking about Dalton Schoen, 
big part of that is the opportunity that he's taken advantage of with Ellingson out of the lineup. But in that Calgary game, I think it was July 15th, I mean, he had like 25% to the target share up until that point in the league, which was far ahead of anybody else. Um, and, and man, the, the, the luxury of having a guy like that come back later on. But I mean, he did return and then go out. Is this basically the same injury that kept yeah. him out earlier? It is. Yeah. Um, something with his foot or his ankle. I'm not going to pretend to know the, the exact diagnosis. Lower body, as they say. Lower, yeah, that's the hockey <laughs> thing, right? Lower body. Somewhere below the waist, he's hurt. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, he's here at practice every day. And he's not, you know, he's not wearing a boot. He's not on crutches. So I think it's just a matter of making sure he's healed up for the for the stretch run here. But uh, you made a real good point about what uh, Dalton Schoen has stepped up. Um, and Seuss Drew Wallatarski, those guys are really big on second down conversions. And, of course, Nick Dembski, that catch last week oh. um, was amazing. And, and Zach... Uh, Reference the Willie Mays uh, it was a Willie Mays catch, and you know, I, I wasn't alive when Willie Mays made that catch, and I'm old, so I wasn't sure how many people would get that reference. But if you have a chance, uh, YouTube uh, Willie Mays catch, and then look at the Nick Dembski thing, and there are uh, there are an awful lot of similarities. Well, hopefully Dembski will have a big game, and we can yeah. uh, credit it to the WST bump for him coming go. on the program today. It's uh, We've had a good run with some guys coming on the show and having big games. And listen, he is such a difference maker. And for a Winnipeg kid, played here, Bisons, drafted by the Riders, came here. Um, there's almost nobody that has more unique experience on both sides of this rivalry than Nick Dembski. Although there is one other guy, and it's the guy pulling the trigger in Zach Caleros. And, Ed, I it, I was just doing some reading about, you know, the history of this rivalry in the games and was noticing that the Bombers have won six of seven Banjo Bowls. 2018 was the, the game that they lost. Who was the starting quarterback for Saskatchewan in that game? Well, it's Zach Caleros. And... You know, I was on with the guys in Edmonton this morning, and they were asking me about about Caleros, and I still think back to that day where the Bombers, you know, announced the trade about an hour after the deadline, and we jokingly said, oh, there's a conditional first-round pick if he re-signs here. And at that point, I wasn't even sure whether Zach Caleros was going to continue playing after the injuries that he's had. I mean, that that trade, the game, the regular season game, and the throw to Darvin Adams against the Calgary Stampeders, I mean, they just have not looked back. And, uh, you know, certainly this Winnipeg chapter of Zach Caleros' career could not be more magical. And um, he'll have another opportunity to kind of remind his former team about the one that got away in front of uh, in front of complete insanity, I'm expecting, tomorrow at IG Field. Well, remember that 28... You may, I, I'm with you on Zach. Remember that 2018 game was also the game that Willie Jefferson <laughs> intercepted Mac Nichols and took it back about... I think he would have covered 90 yards, but he'd zigged and zagged at the end of the run to kind of rub it in, probably added another 60 yards. So I'm not sure there's such a thing as a 150-yard interception return, but if there <laughs> is, that was Willie that day. But back to your point about, uh, well, first about Dembski. I talked to him about this. We're on the same page. Hustle will be up on our site later today. Played his football at Charleswood Broncos, Oak Park High School, University of Manitoba. He spoke about being at Banjo Bowls as a kid and and watching Milt and Charles Roberts and uh, Terrence Edwards and Fred Reed. So he's got a great appreciation for it. But back to your point about Zach, I mean, you're right. When that trade was made, uh, Matt Nichols was down for the year. 
uh, Chris Strebler was the guy. Uh, I think a lot of people just thought it was for insurance, right? This is, we got to have a veteran guy just in case Streb can't go. And uh, boy, we know how that turned out. He's now 28 and three as a starter, including playoffs. And, uh, you know, one of the losses was the, the game here against Montreal that they lost in overtime. Uh, the other one was a game in Calgary at the end of last year where he played the first quarter. Winnipeg was winning and, you know, with their backups in, gave up uh, the lead late in the game. And so he gets hung with the loss there, even though he had really nothing to that do with it. That loss should be stricken from the record, Ed. <laughs> it's kind of, it's BS. I hate that and the way they do that in football. Um it's remarkable. It might go down. I mean, it's it's surely one of the best trades, if not the best trade in Bomber history, but it might go down as one of the best trades in CFL history, right? He's got two great cups uh, to his name since he got here. He's 28 and three. Think of that. He's 28 and three as a starter in Winnipeg. And this team is rolling towards another uh, possible third straight championship. So um, I'm, I'm with you. I'm one of those guys that uh, at the time thought when the trade was made, hmm, that's interesting. And now I look at it and say, man, that's a stroke of genius. Well, it certainly was. And and never mind the best trade ever. I mean, let's just talk for a minute. I mean, take a step back and look at big picture. The last three years for Zach Caleros, arguably when it comes to the number one job winning football games, is arguably the greatest run in CFL history. I mean, I, I maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's someone that could, you know, could cite a 31-game stretch and be better than 28 and three, but I doubt it. I mean, they have just been that damn good. I guess maybe Warren moon back in the eighties when the, um, the Eskimos yeah. were destroying everybody. I mean, uh, it's been a long time though. I'll say that much. And, uh, I don't see any signs that it's uh, about to abate anytime soon. Well, the only guy I can think of is like you said, was Warren moon that might've had a 28 and three run like that, but you gotta, and you've got to include the great cups, right? That's the key thing. There's lots of guys that probably, cranked out really good regular season numbers and then uh, pooped the bed in November when it really mattered. But that's the <laughs> thing that I like about this guy is that uh, he was the MVP of the Grey Cup last year. You know, when it matters most, he steps up. Uh, when they need some plays in the fourth quarter of that game last week in the Labor Day Classic, uh, he's delivering strikes to Wallatarski and Dembski to, to keep the team on the field. There's just something about him, um, you know, for a guy that was kind of kicked to the curb by a couple of teams for him to have recreated himself, uh, it's, it's one of the most compelling stories in CFL history. I mean, I don't think I'm being too melodramatic when I say that. No, there's no doubt about it. Ed Tate with us from BlueBombers.com. All right, Eddie, just on the way out, main event, of course, is tomorrow. But the great scheduling means that the next day you can watch your team play Vikings hosting the Packers. How are you feeling about the Vikes season right now? Where's your optimism level? And will they get a win to go to 1-0 and against the Cheeseheads on Sunday? Okay, so being a Vikings fan is hard, right? It's been hard. It's a long run. In my whole life, it's been hard. And I, I've seen, I saw Michael Irvin say that Kirk Cousins is an MVP candidate. I wish I had that kind of optimism. <laughs> I'm hearing lots of good things. I listen to a lot of Minnesota sports radio to get my Vikings fix. And uh, I'm hearing a lot of good things about the new ownership. I mean, the new uh, management structure there, the new head coach. Um, but as long as Kirk Cousins, the quarterback, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm crossing my fingers, but I'm going to watch a lot of games like this with my hands over my face, especially when it really matters because he's the king of garbage time yards. <laughs> hey, as long as it's going to Justin Jefferson, who we all tried to get on our fantasy team, we're go. fine with it. Big, uh, we'll get to Sunday when it happens. First okay. things first, though, 
Let's see if we can get another big win and get to uh, the boys to 12 and one tomorrow in front of a sold out crowd at IG field and uh, great stuff. Keep up the awesome work. We'll be looking forward to that Dembski piece coming at bluebombers.com and all the post game reaction and uh, summaries from uh, hopefully another big win tomorrow in the banjo bowl. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate it, Hus. Thanks for having me on. See you. Uh, all right. There's our great friend, Eddie Tate, joining us on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Brandon Rewicki is in the bullpen warming up that rubber arm. He'll join us in just a moment. Uh, but as I said, we do have the why not question of the day. Um, did uh, did the Bills' performance last night change your opinion of them going into the season? Hit us up in the comments on the YouTube channel. And, of course, our friends at Not Auto Corp, unbelievable support that we've received from them since day one of Winnipeg Sports Talk. And, hey, if you are looking or thinking about getting into a new vehicle Get the best deal in town on the best selection of incredible vehicles down at Not Auto Corp. Why not get in the car of your dreams at a great price with the help of the Not team? They've been the leaders in Teslas and electric vehicles for years here in Winnipeg and have a great program to show you everything that's involved in switching from a traditional vehicle to an electric vehicle with the Tesla Experience Program. Uh, but if you go down, check out everything that they've got right now. If there's a particular make and model that you want, the Not Experts will source it, find it, and get it here to Winnipeg and get you in it at the best possible price. Pop down and see them, Not Auto Corp, Waverly, and McGilvery, or check them out online at not.ca. Tent sale alert at Royal Sports. Uh, we show you all the brand new NFL merchandise that's just come in in time for opening weekend. But this weekend, it is another incredible tent sale. Thousands and thousands of pairs of shoes and merchandise items all marked down at least 50% off. The festivities get going tomorrow morning, bright and early. So pop by before the Banjo Bowl or all day Sunday for the best deals in town at the Royal Sports annual tent sale. The last tent sale of the season. Make sure you get down there Saturday and Sunday, Royal Sports, 750 Pembina Highway. Um, hey, if you're in, if you're thinking about the upcoming fall and winter, realizing that the wardrobe needs to take a couple steps up, pop down and see our friends at F Apparel. We will have a new a suit show coming up after a challenge to UWST years in the next week or so because I just got my suit from F Apparel. Worked out great at the wedding last week and uh, now almost looking forward to wearing it again, although suits have never been my preferred uh, outfit. But hey, when you got custom suits that will tailor to fit however you want them with an incredible style, uh, options of fabrics and more, starting at just 400 bucks, well, you know, you can become that suit guy. Great deal on shirts as well through the summer. Three for 210 bucks and so much more down at F Apparel. Pop down and see him. 190 Smith Street downtown or check them out and make an appointment online at F. That's E-P-H apparel.com. And by the way, guys, if you're in a wedding or having a wedding next year, talk to them about a 15% discount for all the fellas when you get your suits over at F Apparel. And hey, a uh, quick golf report for our friends at Breezy Bend. Of course, the passing of the queen. Uh, pause the DP World Championship on the European Tour yesterday. No golf today. They will be back tomorrow. And somewhat ironically, with all the live guys in this event, it will end up being a 54-hole event. So uh, insert joke there. Of course, when we talk golf, we do it for our friends at Breezy Bend. If you're thinking about a great home for you and your family, one of Winnipeg's top private courses, talk to our friend Corey Johnson at Breezy Bend about making Breezy your home for next season. Find out more online at breezybend.ca. All right.
Let's talk a little football, some off-season puck, and more with our guy Brandon Rewicki, the host of the Skates and Plates podcast. Uh, Brandon joins us now. B, what's going on? How are you? I'm doing good, man. I I, I did the uh, the Remus this morning actually, and I uh, took the little one to the zoo. So nice. I got my got my steps in, and I'm ready to go. Now, do you have the? Did you do the full Remus and get the season pass and just go there like every second day? No, no, I'm I'm not a maniac. I, I I'm good with just the one time. The, the little the little one couldn't last more than a, an hour and a half or so. So no, I'm I'm good. I I get it. Like I've seen animals before. I, I don't need to go. What was the highlight? Go. If you were doing a power poll of the zoo animals, who who is number one right now? For those of us that don't get to the zoo very often, Brandon. So this is so funny. I literally in my head thought that I should create a power rankings of animals that I saw in case you asked me for the show. <laughs> You so, know me well. You know me yeah, well. So obviously, number one is <laughs> yeah. Number one's the tiger. Um, number two, I would put snow leopard there. The snow leopard was pretty active today, mm. so that was a big treat. The little jump, everybody got all jacked up. Um, I might put mm. I might put seals ahead of polar bear, and have those two at three, four. Because the seals are all over the place. <laughs> Well, I can hear Remo. Zoo, Zoo member Michael Remus has entered the chat. Uh, first of uh, all, Zoo uh, membership is the way to go, and a clear number one on Remo's power pole, the polar bear. Remo, well, they're not always like active. Like if if you can go up to the glass and see one, or they're swimming. I mean, then they're number one. I mean, I haven't seen the tiger do anything for a while. Um, so the tiger's <laughs> not up there for me. Snow leopard is is pretty good. Uh, there's some other decent ones. So I, like, think, I think I think what it is though the tiger like senses your your presence your aura your spirit and it wants nothing to do with you so that's why you're not able to connect with it on like a spiritual level like I am so that that might be the reason there but but I, I polar bears are awesome but the seals are all over the place like entertainment value I, I don't know if the seal can be beat entertainment value wise. Well, I'll tell you what, there's going to be a lot of wildlife running around this city this weekend because it is Banjo <laughs> Bowl weekend, and uh, the great rivalry is renewed tomorrow afternoon in a sold-out IG field. Uh, we'll quickly hit hockey, not that there's a lot going on right now. Well, that's going to change with the upcoming uh, rookie camp out in Penticton. Uh, but, Brandon, what do you make of uh, the Bombers' opportunity to get to 12-1 and after doing all the little things right and winning a close one on the road last weekend in the Labor Day game? I mean, why wouldn't they? <laughs> if, they if they can go into Saskatchewan and do it, why can't they pull the back-to-backer tomorrow afternoon? I, I And that game, again, it, it kind of just encapsulates this weird complete 180 of what the franchise had been like for so long to where they are now, where it, it was the Riders doing, like, the mid-2000s Bombers in that game. Like, the Riders were just shooting themselves in the foot left. I mean, it was just a complete and utter gong show. Who who was the – the Bombers signed a linebacker, like, maybe, like, 10 years ago that just constantly was taking 15-yard penalties time and time. I can't remember his name right now. He came from Montreal. Um, but it, it kind of reminded me of that a little bit where – there, there is nothing that in football, especially for a team that I like to watch, that pisses me off more than an undisciplined football team. And I can't even imagine Riders fans watching that game. We're like, what are, what are we doing? The like, Duke huh? Williams penalty. I mean, in civvies, in civvies, That's turning a second and third to a second and thirteen. What? I mean, to me, that I was on a Rider podcast with some guys that had me on, and that are basically just throwing up their hands and saying. 
You, you come on, talk about how great the Bombers are because we got nothing left to say about this team. That encapsulated all the problems of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. You have a pretty talented team, yeah. but that is turning them from being a legit contender into a mediocre 500 football club. Yeah, yeah. It's, not, it's nothing talent-related. Like, they, they play the Bombers pretty good. And, I mean, you know, whether it was Fajardo making throws into tight windows or, you know, Kalaros needing to thread the needle on some throw, like, they... They didn't play bad. It's just they were so stupid. They were just so effing stupid. It didn't matter what happened because they were just so determined to lose the game. And it just felt like, wow, we finally like done a full 180 here. And then the Bombers don't have to worry about this anymore. And I mean, you have that. And then Marino, too. You had that thrown in there at the end. But I mean, well, I mean, not an option for, Sas- for Saskatchewan this week. So we don't have to worry about that idiot anymore. But I, I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't be confident the Bombers can come back and, and pull off the W here. And really, the last the last thing I think we were all worried about was what's going to happen in the kicking game. And Mark Leggio decided to just ram a 55-yarder right down my and everybody else's throats that doubted him. That, that was the coolest part of the game for me is that, you know, realistically career might be on the line like you know i know it's a difficult kick and all that but like reputation all that and so much pressure and he just answers he answers the bell and you know mike o'shea deserves some credit for you know giving him another chance like that but for legio to take that and then just absolutely bomb one was uh favorite part of the game for me and and you know what i mean listen we talked to westy earlier this week about that kick um but you want to talk about performing under pressure. I think we knew he was ready for the pressure when he yeah. turnstiled two riders that had a sure punt block and then kicked a 49-yarder on the road, which down 10 points at that point in the game, I mean, I still maintain that single play might be the most impactful that allowed the Bombers to get back in the game because I'm not sure if you give up a special teams play like that that goes the other way, and certainly if it ends up in six whether you're able to come back for that in a game that ended up being a two point win. Yeah, no, totally. I, I just, I, I love it. And look, Legio deserves all the credit in the world for it. But like I said, Mike O'Shea has built this, this culture here of, you know what? I, I believe in my guys. And it's, it's one of those things that I think goes under the radar, but it's, it's why the bombers are champs right now is that they, they have, it's very similar to, you know, just strictly football related, but watching, you know, New England for, for how long in the NFL and even Bama and college football. Like it's it starts from the head on show. And then Mike O'Shea has driven that all the way down there. The other thing is that, man, it's it's going to suck. I enjoy it while we can. But watching Jefferson and Jeffcoat off the edge is just the price of admission right there. The, the Bombers are just so spoiled. And I, I don't know, like, I don't know sack wise if they're at the top of the, the charts in the CFL and all that. But pressures. I mean, the ability to bat down passes, everything else they do, there's been oh, a yeah. long, long time, man, since we've seen a defensive end duo that good. I'm still not sure that Willie Jefferson didn't get a little piece of uh, the play that ended up being tipped and intercepted at the end. He certainly was rushing Cody Fajardo into yeah. a spot, and that's part of the reason why the entire Rider Nation was just nuclear at Jason Moss when you ran the football down to the 26, deciding to throw it in that situation and having it picked off ended up being a, a poor decision, certainly Monday morning quarterbacking, uh, but a big part of the, the game. Well, tomorrow, 4 o'clock kickoff, it is going to be bananas. Make sure to get out to that Princess Auto tailgate zone beforehand. Uh, should be a real great time. Um, not a lot going on right now with the Winnipeg Jets. And we've talked oh, really? a little bit. That, well, you know what? Sam Gagne is coming. <laughs> and I am looking forward. Like, I do actually think that 
You know, if you were going to sign a veteran player for league minimum, he certainly ticks off a lot of the boxes. Um, You know, he's a guy that can play up and down the lineup. He's a right shot. I'm sure he'll probably get a little bit of a piece of the PP2 action. Um, And maybe just as importantly, from all accounts, a hell of a teammate, a good experienced guy, you know, a player that I think the Winnipeg Jets can use. That being said, they are not there yet right now. And you know, I'm still waiting. I talked to Ken yesterday. I mean, you would think that at some point something has to give on the blue line. And I'm not sure whether this is a staring contest right now between Kevin Sheveldayoff and some other NHL general managers as to the return for one of those players. Or, like we saw Dmitry Kulikov get moved for nothing, that the market just is not there right now for defensemen until maybe some dominoes start to fall coming up in the preseason heading into the year. Yeah, yeah, I mean... I guess with Sam Gagne first, it's it's kind of similar to Rick Bonus. Like I feel bad for him because it's not his fault. He was the only signing realistically made up front this year. It's you know, he's just trying to get a job here, but people are gonna kinda go after him a little bit because he's not Savior Sam? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know about that. The, the the Jets are kind of creating a really good 2015 team right now, not necessarily a good 2022 team. I again I, I don't know. I don't know what the plan is, man. Like what are we what what are we waiting for? There, there's not much time left. The season, training camp, all that is right around the corner here. There's there's, there's very little runway to get this thing figured out. And, I mean, you can stare all you want, but the prices are what the prices are. I, I just don't see how anything like that is going to change at this point in the season here. And I'm kind of starting to enter full-on pessimism mode when it comes to the blue line and that I I think what we got here is is what we're going to get opening night and it might take a while for something to happen if it does at all but sucks but I I mm. definitely think Billy Hadel is going to be with the Moose to start the year and okay okay well let's get to that because I hit weave with this and I mean he sort of gave me an answer assuming that one of the a move is made potentially involving like a Dylan DeMello but Presently constructed right now, if nothing does happen, who's the sixth defenseman that Rick Bonus throws out to play for the Winnipeg Jets on opening night? So, I mean, it's obviously more. I mean, I don't know what the pairings are going to be, but yeah. for for clarity's sake, Morrissey DeMello. Um, I think the three vets, Pionk, Schmidt, and Dylan, are all locks to make the team, and that leaves, I mean, two spots at that point, and I. I would probably lean towards Dylan Sandberg being basically, you know, write that one in, in permanent ink. And I think it's from that point, either Stanley or Kovacevic as to who the seventh defenseman would be. I, I just don't, I mean, look, if, if Billy Hanel is not in your top six to start the year, it doesn't make sense for him to be, you know, rotten in the press box for a couple of weeks at a time. Like at that point you should put him down with the moose and at least have him playing. But that's that's kind of how I see it playing out, and then it just comes down to whether or not the Jets feel like they can sneak Johnny Kovacevic through waivers, and then that probably will be the determination between whether or not they they go with Stanley or, or Kovacevic on the roster. There, it's not what Jets fans want to hear at all. I think they're <clears throat> totally in the right to be upset. I think Billy Hanala is completely within his right to be pissed off and unhappy with how this is all played out here. That's the crabby part is that it's a lose-lose. Like, I, it, it does nobody any good here. I I, I just feel like, look, and, and this is the other part, too. I was talking with my brother about this. Um, if you really think, with the collection of defensemen you have in your organization right now, that Vili Hanela is your seventh or eighth best defenseman, aren't you better off moving him 
Like, if you really think there's no path to him being a regular contributor or, or somebody that can be even an impact player, he's got value around the league. You've got holes inside your middle six, we'll, we'll call it there. You're telling me there isn't one team out there that has a guy making two, three million dollars up front. And hey, we can, you know, ship out a guy up front, fill a need on the back end, and we actually save money on top of doing that. Hell yeah. Like th- there's there's got to be a dozen teams, I think, that would be in the market for, for somebody like Hanala when the cost might not be something totally extravagant. See, I just don't think the Jets would be or are in a position to even consider moving on from Billy Hanel until he's been given a legitimate shot to show consistently that he can be an everyday NHL defenseman. And, you know, some people are saying that, you know, it's a crime that he's not in the top four. Other people are saying that he's an overrated prospect. Bottom line is we don't know. Yeah, We just don't know yet. And I will say this for a guy, anyone that's paid attention to what he's done at the American hockey league level knows that, Listen, he's done it. He's paid his dues. He's got his pro experience and all that. The time is now to get this kid in the lineup. And and to your point about being pissed off, I mean, the one thing, I mean, I understand you don't want it. I mean, people would be all over the general manager, you know, if you're losing players for nothing. And sometimes you have to protect your assets and handle things that way. That's not going to cut it for a player like that that's a first-round pick that has done everything that they've asked him to do that seems to be ready to play if just simply because of the numbers game and he's the one guy that's waivers exempt that he'll be back in the American Hockey League. I really do wonder what that does to the relationship between the player and the organization, even with a new coach, if you go down that road again. And that is why I do think that they will do everything they can to avoid that situation. And I'll be honest, Brandon, I would almost bet right now that barring a significant move, that we're probably going to see the Jets carry eight defensemen on the roster at the beginning and have, you know, a leaner forward group right now. Um, Because certainly there's a lot more depth on the blue line, uh, you know, than they have up up front uh, as far as the forwards go. And, you know, even if you're not necessarily in that lineup in the first game, I mean, I think maybe Rick Bonus could have the option of playing a few guys one night, bringing another guy in and sort of kind of continue what you'd be working on through the preseason. But um, I'm with you. I mean, I don't think that's a great solution for the player or the organization. And to use your term, it sort of could end up being a lose-lose with some lasting effects of a bit of a hangover of the of the relationship between a guy that you know can't seem to get a chance right now because of the numbers game. Oh, especially for a team that moved on their number two overall pick not all that long ago. Uh, another first-round pick. Went a uh, certain trade. direction and Don't talk uh, about that. Went, went east to New York and then another one wants out and, and so on. And so, and so uh, it's, it's something you want to avoid here. I, I just, I don't know, man. I, you just, I, I have to look at past precedents and, and what this team and, and GM has done in the past in these situations and, you know, everything that's led up to this point. And I, I just don't know how you can bank on a move happening right now to give more time to, and look, Hanel is one thing too, but like <laughs> Logan Stanley's also a young defenseman that probably would like to get some playing time and not be a team seventh defenseman. The same could go for for Johnny Kovacevic too, right? And I mean, the unfortunate part too, in a weird sort of a way, is that the way these prospects played at times for the big club last season is how much of a drop off is there from Sandberg, Hanel, Kovacevic to Dylan and Schmidt, for example. Maybe not all that much. And and while, you know, Schmidt's contract would be a lot more difficult to move, you know, 
getting rid of, of Brendan Dillon's salary and, you know, finding a team that could use somebody like him, a la the, the Oilers, you know, I, there, there's fits out there. It's just, we're too, we're too far into this point. We were promised monumental changes a few months ago, and we're about a, a week away from the captain giving a press conference about, you know, how they went from one foot out the door to him wearing the C on opening night this upcoming season. So I, I don't know what to tell you anymore. Well, and you know what, I mean, just getting to that, um, to me, that how everything shakes out with the leadership group, with Lake Wheeler in particular, is going to maybe be the most interesting thing about training camp. And you know, listen, as presently constructed, if we're expecting this team to be a playoff team and contend next year as presently built, um, well, there's going to be a lot on Rick Bonus to be somewhat of a magician. Um, do you think that there's more of a job for Bonus on the ice, X and O's, or is it more off the ice, building a team that, you know, plays together? Uh, you know, we've heard a lot of things about, you know, like every team says, oh, we got a great dressing room. We, all, all that stuff is overblown. Pretty hard not uh, wait, not to look at last season, considering what we saw and what we heard from this team and think that everything was rosy. And listen, granted, sometimes that happens when you're having a disappointing year. But I really do I, I do wonder, I mean, how much of the job of turning this thing around is internal as opposed to what we're going to see when you're putting the line up and deciding the systems that you're going to play? Yes. The answer is yes to both of those. <laughs> that's a big job on both sides. <laughs> but like, that's the that's the head he's been dealt here, right? It's, it's tough. It's not like you're taking over a harmonious locker room and it's, hey, we got to figure out how to keep the puck out of our net. And you can focus. It's both. There was there was a mutiny last season at the end of the year, and the same team is coming back except for the guy that basically called out everybody for having the mutiny happen in the first place. So I, I don't even know which one's the bigger one to be honest. Like that, they're both equally important. Um, I mean, it would be nice. I think Jets fans would probably prefer the team be defensively solid because at least we don't see what happens in the dressing room for two and a half hours every Tuesday, Thursday night, right? Like, hey, at least if they play good defensively, they can hate each other and do whatever else they want the rest of the time, but we can watch a, a team that's at least difficult to score against. But it's intriguing too because, I mean, there's 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 probably going to be the question just straight up asked to Blake Wheeler, you know, have, have you thought about or have you been asked to give up the C, right? Like if you're a captain that's been you know, running a locker room that's as as acrimonious as it's reported to have been, and you are reportedly on the way out as well, it might make a lot of sense to have a different leadership voice in that room. The, the funny thing, though, is, I mean, you can't give it, you can't do the Luongo and give it to Connor Hellebuck. <laughs> Who else do you give it to? Do, I do think there's one to- obvious guy that, that would be, and I think that he, in a lot of ways, is sort of already the de facto captain as far as, you know, bringing that bridge between the older players and the younger players, and it's Adam Lowry. And if you look back at Jets 1.0, um, we were doing some fun trivia last week, and one of the questions uh, involved, people recall, uh, if they're old enough, Keith Kachuk signed a RFA deal with the Chicago Blackhawks. It was all front-loaded. It was basically designed to screw the Jets and put them in a situation where they couldn't match it. And they matched it almost immediately, essentially saying there's no way. I mean, we can't allow ourselves to get pushed around like this, and we'll deal with it. But Kachuk got stripped of the captaincy when he came back. Ironically, scored 50 that year <laughs> before the team left. Um, but Chris King took over as the as the captain of that squad. And 
King, I compare King to Lowry in a lot of ways. I mean, he's not a first-line player. And, you know, most of the captains in and around the National Hockey League are guys that, you know, in many cases are all-stars or the clear-cut best player on this team. Um, but of the guys up in the top six, certainly Mark Scheifele's not the guy that I think after last season. I mean, I, I think the jury's out on him and what we're going to get out of Mark, and he's saying all the right things, and I certainly hope we'll get the great Scheifele that we'd seen in years past. But I'm not sure that's the handoff right now, although years back, that would have almost been assumed that that's the way that it was gone. Um, and just the way Adam Lowry deals with his other teammates, the way he handles the media, all of those things, to me, like, is he the long-term solution for a captain? I probably not. But when we're going into this time where we're going to see some significant changes at some point over the next couple of years, to me, Lowry might be the perfect bridge from Wheeler to whoever the next guy is in what really will almost be sort of Jets 3.0 once some of the guys that have been mainstays are no longer with the club. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree that for, for me, the only other uh, there's only two other options that you could even look at because Shifley could potentially be traded at the deadline or sometime soon. Same for Pierre-Luc Dubois, who might be a little bit too young for that it's role anyway. <laughs> well, no, I'm saying even, even if he signed, say, a long-term deal, yeah. you know, like it's I, either way, you're not going to dangle the C in front of PLD. But the only other option would be Josh Morrissey's. And, I mean, both he and Lowry are extremely well-spoken. They don't they don't shy away from the media. I mean, Lowry, maybe more so than anybody, is very willing to to make sure that he's out in front of the microphones mm-hmm. to talk after uh, after another crummy night that, that went by for the Jets, especially last year. Well, he picked up – you're exactly right. He picked up a lot of the slack when the guys that actually had letters didn't want to talk after bad losses and, and whatnot – he was a guy that was consistently there. I mean, he, in a lot of ways, as I said, acted captain-like last year despite not having that on him. And then as far as wheels goes, I mean, listen, I certainly hope if he's come back, he has a great season and he plays, I think it might be in his best interest. And I don't think it's out of the question that he comes back and almost initiates maybe a little bit of a change for him because I think it's quite clear that Listen, it was probably a lot of fun to be the captain when things were going great, but these last few years where things have gone the other direction and have been difficult, I think have probably really taken a toll on Blake as well. And, you know, if you could take a little bit off of his shoulders and just let him go out and focus in on playing and doing the best that he can on the ice, I'm not sure that wouldn't be a bad thing for Blake Wheeler as well. I just don't know him well enough and know what's going on between his ears if that's something that he's thinking about or would even entertain or would offer. Because I think it's tough for the team, especially with a new head coach, to say, hey, we're we're basically being the impetus to making that change. I think it sort of has to come from the guy. Yeah, and that's why these situations are... <laughs> that's why when you're trying to basically instill a culture change, you don't have the same leadership group around. Like it's it's so difficult. It's difficult moving those guys out and trying to have people fill the void. It's imp- almost impossible to try and do that with the same group coming back from the year before. I mean, I guess you could point to the Sharks being an example of where it worked. Where I mean, wasn't it Marlowe? Then he was stripped. Then Thornton had it. Then he was stripped. And then Pavelski got it, and they went to a Stanley Cup final. I, I mean, maybe after the second strip, I, I kind of lost count. But that that might be the only other team that is in somewhat of a similar situation. But even then, they there was no rumors of them trading 
either, you know, Marlowe or Thornton or, or any of those guys. It was just they hadn't met expectations of, you know, winning a conference final, getting to a Stanley Cup final. Like, it's, even then, it was kind of a different scenario there. I mean, yeah, I think I think in a perfect world with, you know, if, if Wheeler does come back, that he himself initiating this would just make everything easier for everybody. And then, you know, for Rick Bonus, he doesn't have to, you know, make the quote-unquote headline-grabbing move of demoting the captain to line two or line three or whatever it might, right? Like, if he's not wearing the C, that's okay. He's going to play 15 minutes a night, which is, you know, at his age, probably best for him over 82 games anyways. He's it's, playing more than that. Like, I know there's some people, hey, Blake Wheeler's best set for a third liner. And listen, I've always entertained that possibility at some point. But, I mean, you can't tell me, looking at the Winnipeg Jets roster right now, that Blake Wheeler is not needed in that top six. Oh, oh, I mean, oh for is. sure, yeah. He's 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 their best right winger right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> you really don't have an option. Your other options are Cole Perfetti, who everybody hopes surpasses him this season. Probably uh, unlikely or unfair to put that on a on a 20-year-old kid. And then Mason Appleton. And Mason Appleton is, you know, at best going to be a second line right winger for you there. So, yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I mean, it's just I, I guess it's different when you take into account, you know, calling lines one, two, three. There's no doubt that Blake Wheeler shouldn't be playing 21 minutes a night, 20 minutes a night like he did for the majority of last season. Um, yeah, I, I think he would probably agree and probably welcome, you know, if I could get 17, 18 minutes a night and run the first power play, who's. Who's losing out? Well, and, and, and you know what? That sounds quite familiar. That's what happened to Jamie Ben in Dallas. Um, and, and you just look at the way that Rick Bonus handled both the lines as well as, I mean, let's face it, they made massive investments into Tyler Seguin and Jamie Ben. And there was times I'd be looking at Ben was playing sometimes 15 minutes a game, 16 minutes a game. And when the chips were down, Rick Bonus was throwing out Rupee Hints and Jason Robertson as his most important players. And, and he's spoken about that. Anyway, it's fascinating. This certainly will be a topic that, you know, we'll be covering and chopping up here as we get into training camp. And, of course, we, we will get a chance to see the Chaz Lucius and some of the younger players out in Penticton beginning already next week and then rookie camps. And now we're just a couple ways from a training camp. Brandon Rewicki is with us. Make sure to check out Skates and Plates wherever you get podcasts for more on the Winnipeg Jets. Hey, before we go, uh, what did you think of the show the Bills put on last night against the Super Ooh. Bowl champs? That was, I mean, I, what was the question? Do you think more of the Bills? Something like well, that? If you, it, it, the why not question of the day was if you weren't already buying the Bills as the Super Bowl favorite, did last night's game change your mind at all? That was a pretty vintage performance, including the turnovers that they made in the second half that allowed the Rams back into the game. And, I mean, that was... Uh, it was a mismatch in the second half. It's pretty shocking that a 31-10 final is misleading as to how dominant it was. Like the yeah. Bills just kicked the ever-living crap out of the champs. They like they to, to the point where you almost like, are the Rams that bad or are the Bills that you know what I mean? Like it's <laughs> it was just everybody was expecting a, a really tight game. And you know, even going into it, I was like, man, I might how can you not go with the Rams at home underdogs? ring ceremony all like everything i was like oh man i might have to take them and then you watch the first five minutes you're like i i don't think this is going to be close going into the second half that the bill that was about as as much of a dream scenario as you could have hoped for for buffalo right i mean josh allen is josh allen and the the mvp odds probably went even further down for him after that but the bills didn't blitz at all that game which is shocking because matt stafford 
was through either running for his life or trying to throw through two or three guys up front there. Yeah, yeah, I I was beyond impressed with the Buffalo Bills there. They might have already clinched a, a home field advantage throughout the AFC playoffs after that one. Um, still early for the Rams. I'm, I'm not going to jump off just yet, but uh, I don't know. I didn't see Stafford with that elbow push the ball down the field all that often. Yeah, like there are some warning signs. I, I think they'll turn it around. Um, but definitely the the big story of the night had to have been Buffalo just curb stomping the defending champs. And then uh, the highlight for me, Stephon Diggs uh, telling Jalen Ramsey, yeah, that's <laughs> enough for one night, buddy. But get, get the head tap and uh, head over to the bench there. Yeah, between Diggs giving it to Ramsey and Josh Allen laughing as he executed one of the most vicious stiff arms we've seen in a long time. That was a real statement game by the Buffalo Bills, and we'll see what uh, everybody else in the AFC has to show coming up on Sunday. Do your wife a lot of favors. Do plenty of elite parenting over the next 24 hours. Get away to watch the Banjo Bowl and then see if you can – you know, book off a good period of Sunday afternoon for our first NFL Sunday. Brandon, thanks for doing this. We'll catch up next week. Have a great weekend. Thanks for having me, man. Happy betting everybody on Sunday and enjoy the Banjo Bowl. <laughs> there it is, Brandon Rewicki at Brandon Rewicki on Twitter. And make sure you're following and subscribe to Skates and Plates wherever you get your favorite podcasts. All right, game day tomorrow. 4 p.m. and two hours before the game, the place to be is going to be the Princess Auto Tailgate Zone outside IG Field. No better place to get ready to get loud than just outside the stadium. $5 beers, $3.50 popping hot dogs, DJ finesse spinning, prizes available from the Princess Auto. Staff will be milling around. Um, it really will be a great way to kick off the Banjo Bowl and, of course, Princess Auto, proud sponsors of the Bombers and Winnipeg Sports Talk and the place where you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Two Winnipeg locations, Panit Road, Portage Avenue West, and you can shop online 24-7, 365 at princessauto.com. Um, you may be having a few pops on the weekend. you got to stay hydrated and our great friends at Culligan Water have been hydrating Manitobans as the go-to people for water and water services for over 65 years. Culligan has it all. Water softeners, filters, bottled water coolers, whole home systems and drinking water systems, not to mention citywide water delivery services and commercial and industrial water products and solutions. Whether for the home, the cottage or the business, Culligan's there for you. Pop down and see them at 1200 Sergeant Avenue, 694-5180. And online at drinkculligan.com. We will have our marble race a little later on. And our great friends from Canadian Club have teamed up with Winnipeg Sports Talk for our version of the Masters Green Jacket, the illustrious Winnipeg Sports Talk Canadian Club hoodie. We'll do that at the end of the program. But make sure you grab a CC and Ginger or two at the game tomorrow. Of course, Canadian Club is the official sponsor of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Canadian Club products found and available throughout IG Field, including the new CC and Ginger ready to drink. And with the weekend coming up and a big NFL Sunday, pop by your local beer store, pick it up in six packs. And of course, you can also get all the great Canadian Club family of products at your local Manitoba Liquor Marts. And uh, hey, if you're not lucky enough to have a ticket for the game tomorrow, next best place to watch it is at your local Boston Pizza. Uh, great game day deals, of course. Happy hour between 3 and 6 and 9 and 12 each and every day. 
and pizza flights are back. A perfect accompaniment to a few cold ones and the big game on the big screen. And of course, if you are staying at home, check out their game day deals and order online at bostonpizza.com. Going to be hooking up at BP shortly after the show today to bang out the lock shop with Dustin Nielsen, who, of course, will be calling tomorrow's Bomber Rider game on TSN. Uh, but let's talk NFL. Game last night, first slate of games this week, and there's no one with more NFL knowledge than our next guest, the one and only Lee Hacksaw Hamilton that joins us now from Southern California, where I imagine the Rams fan base is... Uh, reeling after a real face plant last night re after getting their rings that was uh that was a statement game by the buffalo bills yeah nice to be with you on beer friday andrew uh yeah shell shocked that's about the only way to put what happened to the los angeles rams very impressed with buffalo everybody around the country is impressed with buffalo everybody is questioning sean mcveigh second guessing what they did in the offseason what they did not do in the preseason I really think when in retrospect, Andrew, if you look back, I think three guys that were not there last night wearing Rams colors were the difference in this game. They could not stop Von Miller. He went across the street, signed with the Buffalo Bills, no longer a Ram. Their left tackle, Andrew Whitworth, retired at age 41. The left tackle to replace Whitworth could not Andrew Von Miller. And then the third guy in the equation, was the running made a defensive tackle to uh, their superstar, Sebastian Joseph Day, gone, free agency, went across the street to the Los Angeles Chargers. So that meant that Aaron Daniel had to do this by himself. So three guys that are no longer part of the Rams, I think were an integral part as to why the Rams got just run over by Buffalo, taking nothing away from the Bills. That defensive front eight that Buffalo rotates through there, I don't think I've ever seen in modern-day NFL football so many big guys run the way they run, and their coverage on the back end with a fairly young secondary was pretty impressive. And in terms of Sean McVay, huge questions about he did not play any of his starters in preseason. They did not look like they were in sync. They could not protect the quarterback who got battered. Quarterback could not go down the field. And they spent all this money to get Allen Robinson from the Chicago Bears at wide receiver because Robert Woods was traded. They did not re-sign OBJ, Odell Beckham Jr., and Van Jefferson's recovering from knee surgery. They never targeted the guy. They gave Robinson a chunk of money, and they threw to him one time in the game. And there's, so there's no help on the other side for Cooper Cup, who somehow, with double coverage, still caught 13 balls. So there's just a lot of questions here about are the Rams prepared? Why did they do what they did in this preseason? Why did they do what they did in the offseason? You know, they got humbled. They got hammered. And take nothing away from Buffalo. As Josh Allen has grown, I saw him at Wyoming here for three years, and he had a rocky first season, and he has elevated his game each of the last two seasons. For the first time in three years, they had a power running game that kind of worked. Obviously, Diggs and his buddies catch balls. Uh, I think getting Jameson Crowder helps take some of the pressure off Diggs because Crowder can run some of those inside crossing patterns. Uh, Dawson Knox is spectacular at tight end. I mean, they, they have every ingredient. Now, I'm not ordering a Buffalo Super Bowl ticket yet. What a game coming out of the gate for Buffalo, how great that was, what a bad game it was for the Rams. So, yeah, shell-shocked is really the word to use here in Southern California. 
Lee, I've got to ask you, I mean, I've already been hit up from a few friends. Of course, everyone's all fired to start off their fantasy football campaigns. Um, I think everyone thought that Cam Akers was the guy. I mean, you look at the snap count. It wasn't even close. Daryl Henderson that was getting all the touches. Um, is Akers not 100% or has he been passed on the depth chart? Well, he was hurt. He was hurt last year. And, you know, Achilles injuries take a long time to come back from. Now, he, he went through preseason and they said all the right things that, yeah, he was healthy, et cetera. But Henderson runs violent. Henderson runs tough up inside. Henderson, he's got power, a little bit of explosiveness. And it took him a couple of carries to get going. But then they started to find some spots for him, ran some stuff off tackle, and he powered his way for yardage. But as the game got out of hand, there was no running game. Stafford had to throw the football down the field, and they just could not protect him. I mean, Hustler, when you go back and you look, seven sacks, 15 hits, in addition to five tackles for losses by that defensive front. And Buffalo is not sent in the house. Buffalo is just mauling them at the point of attack with that four-man front. So Rams got a lot of work to do, and Rams got questions. It was a really bad game, I thought, for the Rams' offensive line, and that quarterback took a pounding. Lee Hacksaw Hamilton's with us, getting ready for a full slate of games in week one of the National Football League. Obviously, I'm a Chiefs guy, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do against Arizona, uh, but even more so maybe to see how they answer publicly what the Bills did last week. Um, and this division, we'll get into it, is going to be, I mean, must-see week in and week out with uh, what's happening in the AFC West right now. But um, what do you make of the Chiefs going into Arizona as uh, favorites? And, of course, no DeAndre Hopkins for Arizona. Um, maybe just thoughts on both of those teams coming into the season because, I don't know, we always need to identify who's going to make the playoffs that wasn't there, who was in that might be going the other way. And listen, the Rams didn't look very good last night. I like San Francisco, but I'm still not sold on Cliff Kingsbury. Certainly the way they finish seasons has been ugly. Um, I do wonder if this team is back in the playoffs when we get three playoff teams from the NFC West like we did last season. Well, if, if we start, first of all, with, with Kansas City, I think the huge question, what does life after Tyreek Hill look like? And I, I question that the minute he was traded to Miami in the contract issue. Because he made everybody else very dangerous. And he was dangerous every time he came off the line of scrimmage or going the distance. I will say this. They, they, in preseason, they played their veterans a lot. And Marquez Scantling, who came from Green Bay, looks like he has now taken another step up in terms of maturity. And they went and got Juju Schuster-Smith from Pittsburgh, who was hurt all last year with a shoulder. But prior to that was a pretty vibrant wide receiver. He's had himself a good camp. And they landed, and I don't know how they found him and why nobody else paid attention to him. They landed a young running back by the name of Isaac Pacheco. And I will tell you, he may put Clyde Hilaire on the bench this season. He is quick. He's a slasher. He's physical. He has an extra gear. The guy catches the ball out of the backfield, too. I was very impressed. I saw two of the three Kansas City preseason games, and they they – they showed him a lot, and he just he ramped it up. So suddenly losing Tyreek Hill, although there are questions about that, it looks like they may have more speed collectively on this roster by the guys they imported. And Mahomes is Mahomes. Defensively, I, I have questions about Kansas City's speed on defense. Do they have enough? There's no doubt with Chris Jones and those guys that they're big and physical. you know. But they lost one of their linebackers, and, and obviously Tyron Matthew defected. 
So they've lost a little bit of experience on the defensive side of the football. Arizona, uh, obviously not having Hopkins hurts. You know, they also don't have Chandler Jones, a defensive end linebacker, pass rusher on the other side of the line of scrimmage, which I think takes a little bit away there. I think there's a huge question with Cliff Kingsbury, Andrew. Uh, you know, if you go back and look, his career in Arizona, second half of the season, flamed out. You look at what he did prior to that at Baylor, flamed out, or I should say Texas Tech. Kingsbury's second half of the season, his record's horrible. It's like 9-43 and 43 <laughs> in college and in the NFL. So there's some questions about him, his style of coaching, what happens to his teams once we get to the back end of the schedule. Kyler Murray, growing into the job, have to keep him healthy, may have to limit his running. But there's no doubt that he's a dynamic player. So Kansas City, tough opener, Arizona. If Hopkins were there, it might even be a better game. But as I alluded to, there's some missing parts to Arizona that they no longer have. I, I, I'm going to pick the Chiefs to win. I'm picking the Chiefs to win the division in what I think is going to be a dogfight in the AFC West with the Chargers, maybe with the Raiders, and even, even Denver. Well, you know what? Let's stay in the AFC West right now. I mean, I I think Seattle's probably on a collision course to be, uh, let's just say, picking a quarterback early in next year's draft. And uh, there, of course, Russell Wilson homecoming game on Monday night. Uh, but I'm very interested to see this first matchup between the Raiders and the Chargers. And everyone remembers the game at the end of last season where they just needed the tie and the Chargers somehow threw up all over themselves and ended up missing the playoffs. But I mean, there's a lot of people very high on this team because talent-wise, Lee, they should be able to compete against just about everyone else in the league. And, of course, the Raiders have a new head coach and a new elite wide receiver for Derek Carr. Um, give us the preview of this matchup between these two division rivals. Well, there's two storylines here to pay attention to. One is what the Chargers have done collectively. They spent $284 million in contract extensions in free agency and signing their draft picks. They look like they have every base now covered. Uh, we all know about what Justin Herbert has done. We all know about their skilled people on offense. They went out and got another stud offensive lineman last year as a left tackle with Sean Slater. This time it's the right guard, Zion Johnson. I think collectively they are they are for real on offense. Uh, defensively, they, they were let down all last season, could not stop the run, could not get off the field on third down. End of the season, they were fatigued, they were wiped out, didn't make the playoffs. They went out and signed six free agents on defense, and they traded for Khalil Mack. The key component in what the Chargers did, Andrew, in the offseason is they not only spent, but they went and got guys who played for Brandon Staley other places. I mean, Khalil Mack played for him in Chicago, so he walked in the front door. He knows that defense. Sebastian Day, he played for the Rams with Brandon Staley, who was defensive coordinator, walks in the doors, a big wide body run stuffer, knows the system. Austin Johnson, defensive tackle, came from the Giants. He played for Staley when he was young. So what I'm saying is all these guys have all this past relationship, and the playbook is not like Chinese to them. So their defense is going to be much improved. The other piece of the Charger equation is that when you get pressure, Khalil Mack one side, Joey Bosa the other side, you get pressure. That makes everybody in the back end much, much better in terms of being able to cover guys. So it's going to be fun to see if this is the real deal. I tend to think it is the real deal. But they're in the AFC West. You know, these guys could all cannibalize each other all season long. Kansas City could beat the Chargers. Chargers could beat Kansas City. Uh, the Raiders could beat some of these people. Denver with Russell Wilson beat up some of these. In terms of the Raiders, 
I love the offense. I think Josh McDaniels will be a better coach second time around, Andrew, because he's delegating authority. There's no doubt that he is really linked to the creativeness with Derek Carr. Carr has no fear at quarterback. Carr's got, obviously, he now has Devontae Adams, who will bring a lot of dynamics to that offense and stretch the field and make a ton of plays. Carr's really accurate. He does not turn the sucker over, does not take a lot of hits, does not make a lot of mistakes. So when you got him and you got Hunter Renfro, you got the massive tight end there and Darren Waller, and they got Josh Jacobs, who probably will be used a little bit differently. I, I think the Raiders on offense will be fun to watch, but there are issues. Their offensive line is substandard. Defensively, outside of Mad Max, Max Crosby and Chandler Jones, we just talked about the free agent. I don't know that they got enough people on defense, and the shadow of John Gruden will stay there and stain the Raiders. Andrew, put your beer down some Friday night. Go look at the past four Raiders drafts, all Gruden picks. Look at the free agents they signed and got rid of all Gruden decisions. They are really deficient on that side of the football. So Derek Carr, Josh McDaniels are going to have to ratchet it up and carry this thing. But uh, I think the Chargers beat the Raiders. It's a long season. Injuries change everything. Uh, There's a bit of a mystery here as to what the persona of Raider football will be going forward with this new coach, that great veteran quarterback, and the arrival of big money free agent. It's going to be a fun game. Sunday afternoon at 1.30 out here in the heat. Lee Hacksaw Hamilton's with us. Make sure you check out the website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com, for uh, all the top stories heading into the weekend. Of course, big college football day tomorrow, and then week one of the National Football League. Lee, before we go, I want to ask you about two very interesting matchups and get your thoughts on them from the NFC. A lot of cheeseheads and a ton of Viking fans around here. The NFC North rivalry gets going in week number one with the Vikings at home to the Packers with their new head coach and maybe some thoughts on where Tom Brady and the Buccaneers are at heading into Dallas for the Sunday nighter. Well, Tampa Bay, Dallas will be fun. You got Brady, you got Dak Prescott. Dallas has got a tremendous football team. Tampa's got all the pieces of the puzzle back from last year with the exception of Bruce Arians gone. But I think Brady is running that offense and, Todd Bowles, I think, will be a pretty successful coach, a longtime defensive coordinator. First job he had with the Jets didn't go very well because he didn't have talent, but I think these guys respond very well to Todd Bowles. I, I think Dallas wins, but I think it'll probably be a wild shootout. Uh, in, in terms of the uh, other games, uh, you know, Carolina Cleveland's kind of intriguing to me uh, because this is Baker Mayfield against the guys that got rid of him, and Cleveland does not have Deshaun Watson. So I think that's, that's a big issue there to pay attention to. What was the third game you wanted to mention? Packers-Vikes. Oh, Green Bay. Losing those receivers at first glance, you said, "Uh uh-oh. But I'll tell you, they've had a good preseason. They've fast-forwarded the progress of the young wide receivers, and they got the two heavy-duty running backs. Now, maybe maybe they rely on Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon a heck of a lot more, which takes some of the pressure off Aaron Rodgers. But I do think the kids they got at wide out are going to take the next step forward. And lost in all the conversation, is their defense is tremendous, and they have drafted really well defensively. That's a violent, physical front, and linebackers and guys in the secondary. And you know, when you turn the page, you have your second beer on Friday night. Look at the depth chart of the Packers. That's a really good defensive team. Minnesota, new coach Kevin O'Connell didn't win a game in preseason. You have to solve the riddle of what kind of quarterback Kirk Cousins is. Is he a stat guy? Is he a guy can you win with? It's you know, that's a big issue. And they've announced, you know, they're, they're changing their offense. I mean, they got that great back at Dalvin Cook, 
but Kevin O'Connell, who I know who's from out here, Kevin O'Connell's of the opinion that we're going to throw the football a lot. So what happens to Dalvin Cook? How does he fit into the mix? And the fact that they're kind of rebuilding their defense is not what they were before. So I'd be interested to see what Minnesota turns out to be because they've changed a lot of things there, and not only on the staff, but on paper. I'm picking Green Bay to win that one. Hey, Lee, just before we go, uh, heading into week one, is there any quarterback under more pressure this year than Tua down in Miami? Yeah, I think we have to f- determine, and they've given him a group of weapons to do it. They have to determine whether he is a game manager or actually a game changer. You know, and, and they had the, the draft last year where they got a great receiver in Jalen Waddle, and then they went out and they got Tyreek Hill. Tua's had a good camp. They're throwing the football. They they play a really rugged defense. Now, the guy who built that defense got fired in the coach Brian Flores. So that'll be interesting to see what Mike McDaniel's team is like. But, yeah, this is kind of a make or break. What kind of quarterback am I a year for Tua? You know, if he manages games, I don't know that there are power in the AFC. If he actually makes plays way down the field, yeah, that's a possibility that they could be a player in this whole thing. And, of course, they play New England. Here's a stat for you. In the years in which Belichick – has not had Brady, either when Brady was hurt or since Brady's vacated Foxborough. In those seasons, Belichick is 3-7 and seven in Miami. Think about that. And he took the Dolphins down there on Monday. They've practiced for five days in all that heat and humidity to get used to it. So interesting matchup there. And, of course, he's got all that controversy with who's calling plays and why are your defensive guys calling plays, whereas Belichick can show up on Sunday and have the headset, and he's going to start calling plays. Interesting storylines to pay attention to with New England. Looking forward to that one as well. Lee, thanks so much for doing this. I've been checking what you're doing on YouTube. Wonderful content. And, of course, I know there'll be no shortage of topics for you to hit on the website heading into the weekend. Hey, listen, can I put, since it's Beer Friday, can I put my first order in for one of your Canadian club hoodies? Yeah, absolutely. Well, don't worry, Lee. You'll be getting a marble in the marble race coming up right away. And uh, I can tell you, if uh, if you end up coming in, there will be a FedEx package getting right there to you, <laughs> getting you ready. And uh, although, considering how hot it's been in California, I'm not sure whether you really need a hoodie these days. Tell you what, today it rained. It's the first time we've had rain in San Diego since December 29th. What? Think about that. And we're rooting for this hurricane that's off the Mexican coast to come up the coast and soak is bad because the fire threat is is horrible. It's America's finest city, but not right now to live in. I'll guarantee you that. Hey, have yourself a great sports weekend. And for all the Winnipeg fans, check my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com, and check my podcast. We just posted uh, the NFL preview package I just did, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton podcast on YouTube, on Facebook, on every platform there is just like you guys not as successful yet but we're, we're gonna catch you you're the man lee uh crank the ac and uh get horizontal for what will be an incredible weekend of football hey don't forget the big one north of the border right here in winnipeg bombers riders banjo bowl tomorrow gonna be a great one as well thanks for doing this my pleasure hustler take care of yourself have a great weekend there it is the one and only hacksaw lee hamilton no better way to get ready for the weekend of uh, pigskin action than with the legend himself on the program and definitely check out what he's doing on youtube some really great content from uh, as only lee can do um all right speaking of those canadian club winnipeg sports talk hoodies we do have the marble race coming up in just a few minutes uh, and I did, by the way, promise that DQ Nick was going to come on the program this week. Well, Burger Week's now two weeks. He has just taken down the $100 burger at 529. 
Probably will crank out another dozen this weekend. So we'll get the full review with a couple days left from Nick early, probably like Tuesday of next week. But listen, if you want a great burger in the fast food game, I'm not sure there's a better one right now than the Stack Burgers at Nick and Nicky DQ. Four locations in Winnipeg and Southern Manitoba for Nick and Nicky. DQ Neverville, DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, and DQ St. Anne's. And in addition to uh, the great chicken fingers and burgers, of course, there's nothing better than a Blizzard ice cream treat. They got the Kit Kat Blizzards right now. My personal favorite, Reese's Pieces cookie dough, all there for you. And of course, if you do need a DQ ice cream cake to spice up the next gathering or party, hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba. They'll custom make it however you want and get you set up to pick up quick and easy at your nearest Nick and Nikki DQ. And listen, the amount of beers Lee threw at me in that last interview made me feel like I've already had a couple. That is not the case, but I will be. He pretty much called it for a Friday night, especially with all of our friends in from Saskatchewan for the big game tomorrow. And uh, when you're deciding to have a few beers, there's no better beer than Winnipeg's favorite local beer, Little Brown Jug, the iconic 1919, my personal favorite, the Hefeweizen. Uh, we tried many of them last week at our first sports trivia night at Little Brown Jug. You can get them all down at the tap room on William Avenue. Check out their beautiful new patio as well. And if you can't make it downtown, you can get the great taste of Little Brown Jug at your favorite local beer store. And you can always order online at littlebrownjug.ca. And uh, we're not done yet on a Cineboy down season. They're back at it Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of next week. Remember when I were actually talking about trying to get out to um, uh, the track next week. So maybe we'll do an impromptu get-together one more time before the end of the season. And, of course, we're very tight in our yearly betting contest. So we will have some more picks next week. If you do want to make an arrangement or a reservation in the dining room for live racing before the season's over, give them a call at 885-3330. And you can find out more online at AssiniboyaDowns.com. All right, let's get Remo back in here because I do want to get to the cool bet lines and in particular get his thoughts on a few of the games before we get going for the marble race. But um, Remo, pop in here. Do you, uh, do you want to get things open up for marbles right now and then spend a little bit of time going over these lines or how do you want to work that? Yeah, people are uh, putting it in anyways and it gives you know people more time to try to get in. We've got a couple of items. We haven't even touched on the PTOs being handed out around the around the NHL. Big big off breaking news, man. PTOs. Big signings today around the league. It's basically like July 1 here. Or sorry, what's the new date? Do they have like uh, a July annual... 13th, I believe, was the date. Yeah, it's this basically year. July 13, part two. Yeah, for, for PTOs. tryout contracts. Well, we can quickly get that. Zach Aston Reese going to Toronto. Uh, Danny DeKaiser going to Colorado and Calvin DeHaan going to Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, good luck to all of those guys to try to make the National Hockey League team and stay well, in the bigs. It's like these are real NHLers, guys who've proven they can play. Like Zach Aston Reese, good fourth line guy, may not contribute a lot offensively, but all the analytics that I people and tweeting out say that he doesn't get scored on. So that's, I guess that just shows you where you are. I mean, when. Capable players are getting signed to PTOs or min salary deals. You're getting, you know, Kulikov, who was pretty good last year, acquired for future considerations. What's going on out there? It's wild. 
It's a weird market. Uh, by the way, folks, if you are new, uh, the marble race is coming up. You'll see in the chat right now, everyone putting in exclamation mark marbles. Uh, you just have to be subscribed to the YouTube channel to be eligible to win. So make sure you hit that red subscribe button in the chat, exclamation mark marbles, and uh, you will be entered for the CC Winnipeg Sports Talk hoodie that Lee Hacksaw Hamilton just mentioned, and we'll do that coming up in just a couple minutes. Hey, shout out to David Asplund, who gives me the reminder. I DM'd you this yesterday, but the actual biggest off-season story in NHL happened last night um, where Ryan Reeves and Ric Flair <laughs> were having a beer together somewhere. I think we should just play this video, to be honest. Yeah, listen, we have to do it to tee it up. But the Nature Boy coming off his last match, allegedly, at 73 years old, when many people thought that he was about to maybe die in the ring, um, has bounced back. He looked great, crushing a Michelob Ultra with none other than arguably the toughest hombre in the National Hockey League, Winnipeg's Ryan Reeves. If you missed it, this was it from last night with uh, the Nature Boy. Woo! Oh. Right here in New Jersey, badass Ryan Reeves, baddest man in the NHL. I used to hang with Bob Prober. Bobby was the baddest bad boy in both. The enforcer. Now I hang with Ryan Reeves, right. the baddest man in the NHL. Don't think so. Tell me what game to be in, what city to be in. I'll be there Meet with the there. baddest Meet man. You there. That's right. Woo! Oh man, listen, the Ric Flair. It never gets old. And yes, I am seeing in chat many people saying he looked pretty buckled. Uh, but you know what? The nature boy is just doing nature, nature boy things, having a good time, jet flying, kiss stealing, wheeling and dealing. And he was dealing with Ryan Reeves last night, who uh, I think likes a good time as well and certainly has a great personality. So uh, that was a pretty awesome mashup last night between Reeves and the nature boy, Ric Flair. Exclamation mark baddest marbles, man. by the way, on chat. He is ba the baddest man Baddest man in the NHL. That's all you need to know. It was... What an incredible video. 330,000 views on YouTube. Rick uh, tweeting that out. And I know Ryan Reeves had it on his Instagram as well. It was, what a video. Yeah, that, that was Atomic Kong. Atomic Kong did say, Nate does sound like that sober as well. So uh, maybe he was just getting into a, his first Michelob Ultra last night. Anyways, the fellas looked like we were having some good time. All right. Couple minutes left to get your marbles entries in and make sure you've hit that red subscribe button so you're eligible to win. But let's get to these cool bet lines. And just quickly before we get to the NFL action, CFL, not a lot of line movement so far this week. Uh, BC Open is two and a half point favorites in Montreal. Uh, they're now three-point favorites. I'm taking the Alouettes tonight, actually. Uh, the Alouettes have played a number of nail-biters so far this season. Had to do my daily pick for the Lock Shop in Coolbet Canada. I'm taking Montreal plus three. Uh, tomorrow, Ottawa, a one-point home dog to the Toronto Argonauts. Ottawa salvaging their season with those couple wins. They'll look to keep it rolling against the first-place Argos. Tomorrow, Banjo Bowl all week long. This line has not moved a lick. Seven and a half points 
the Bombers are favored against the visiting Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And in the nightcap tomorrow, it's the rematch of the Labor Day Battle of Alberta. This time in Edmonton, Calgary, nine-point favorites after opening at seven-point favorites against the Edmonton Elks. All right, moving on to the National Football League. Here's how things stand heading into the week. Remo, at the end of this, I'm going to get your pick of the week. Saints, minus five and a half on the road against Atlanta. Baker Mayfield in his Panthers debut against his old team, Cleveland. Panthers are one and a half point favorites at home. The Niners are seven point favorites on the road against the Chicago Bears. The Pittsburgh Steelers laying six and a half, or I should say the, the, the Bengals laying six and a half as six and a half point favorites against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mitch Trubisky looks to be the starting quarterback of the Pittsburgh of Pittsburgh. Kenny Pickett, though, the rookie, looks to get some action at some point soon. Eagles and Lions, Detroit, the hard knocks team this year. A lot of people excited to see what they can do. They're four and a half point underdogs at home to the Eagles. You got the Colts, seven point favorites in Houston against the rebuilding Texans. This is an interesting one. Miami, three and a half point favorites at home against New England. These teams always seem to play close games. I know Lee just dropped that stat without Brady. Bill Belichick, three and seven in Miami. Still have to think that the New England Patriots will be able to keep that game close. I think I'm going to be on New England. Baltimore, seven point favorites on the road against the Jets. Looks like Joe Flacco will be starting. Carson Wentz in his first start for Washington, the newly named Commanders, two and a half point favorites at home against Doug Peterson's debut as Jags head coach. My Chiefs, six point favorites in Arizona against the Cardinals without DeAndre Hopkins, who will start a six game suspension. Raiders and Chargers in a matchup of that week 17 game that just about finished as a tie and they both made the playoffs. Uh, it's the Chargers at SoFi, three and a half point favorites at home, even money to beat the Raiders. Packers and Vikings in Minnesota, very close. If Vikings even money to win this game, but if you're betting it on the point spread, plus one and a half. The Giants and Titans go at it in Nashville. Titans five and a half point favorites. The Sunday nighter is Tampa at Dallas. D Dak Prescott apparently will play, but has been limited in practice. And it'll be interesting to see how that handles it. Cowboys, a two and a half point home dog. And then the Monday nighter right now, Russell Wilson's return to Seattle. Six and a half points for the visitors going in to Seattle. Remo, if you had to put a nickel on one game on the point spread, where are you going? Uh, Ravens minus uh, seven here against the Jets. What do you think about that one? I'll give you my survivor pick. I picked San Fran and Survivor. That's just straight up. But how about your Chiefs S minus six? I like I the Chiefs. I like the Chiefs. Oh, sorry. The, the one thing that the Arizona's had a real tough time doing is defending tight ends. Mm -hmm. So uh not to not to tip my hand, but I think you'll see a lot of Kelsey in my DFS lineups this week going up against uh going up against Arizona. Yep. Uh, anyways, if you haven't bet a cool bet before, perfect time to take advantage of the WST offer. 100% bonus on your first deposit up to 200 bucks. Go to coolbet.com, use the promo code WST on your first deposit and uh whatever you bet or whatever you deposit will get doubled up to 200 bucks. Um all right, you want to close up the uh close up the marbles and we can get this ready and then we can actually talk while we're setting this up about the baseball rules changes. I'm mm -hmm. Not sure how much people have heard about this. Uh, but Major League Baseball has approved some pretty significant 
sets of rules changes that you know were not loved by the players association however it looks like it is going to be part of baseball for 2023 um here is here are the sweeping set of rule changes and this is according to jeff passan uh, that mlb hopes will fundamentally overhaul the game um they have approved a pitch clock of 15 seconds with empty bases and 20 seconds with runners on and a defensive alignment that must include two fielders on each side of the second base bag with both feet on the dirt, as well as rules limiting pickoff moves and expanding the size of bases. So, I mean, to me, the pitch clock is a great addition to Major League Baseball. They've tested this in the minor leagues for the last number of years. And when strictly enforced, it has significantly accelerated the speed of the games. Minor league games this season have consistently clocked in at under two hours and 30 minutes, a time seen by many as ideal. And the average games have settled a little over it right now. Um, and, and here's how it works. The catcher must be in position when the timer hits 10 seconds. The hitter must have both feet in the batter's box and be alert at the eight-second mark. And the pitcher must start his motion to pitch by the expiration of the clock. A violation by the pitcher is an automatic ball. One by the hitter constitutes an automatic strike. Uh, we'll get to the banning of the defensive shifts in a minute, Rima. But what do you think of the pitch clock? I'm for it. I like the pitch clock. I think there's too much batters stepping into the box and taking forever. Too much pitchers, you know, being slow. I was at a a triple-A game years ago, a couple years ago in Nashville, where they had it. I thought it was pretty cool. The issue is, is it going to be actually be enforced? Um, maybe some concern that, like, you get two pickoffs and and uh, then you can't do it anymore. Like, maybe guys will take a too big lead. I guess you can throw it over, but if the guy's not out, it's a balk. Um, but I like the pitch clock. I did see this um, this thread here from a guy who's play-by-play -play voice of the Albuquerque Isotopes, Josh Suchon, who said, uh, when enforced, it does what it's supposed to, um, lowers the time of the games. It just needs to be enforced, enforced properly. But I, I, think, I think the pitch clock is a win. I like that. Now, what about, uh, what about the defensive shift? I, 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 I'm not a fan of, of that. I think the players let them play uh, wherever. There's other players who've um, you know, learned how to go the other way. You know that a guy only hits it into one spot. You should be able to play, play that way. So I think the what you have to have one guy on each side of second. You can't have you know four outfielders. I don't like that. I think you know the issue is the the pitchers are are too good. I don't know what what you do here, but these guys are throwing a throwing a hundred. Um, it's it's tough to hit, and I don't think uh, I don't think this defensive shift thing. I think it reduces innovation in in baseball. I don't like it. Yeah, well, as I said, I think the pitch clock is a real positive. That's, we'll mm -hmm. see how we'll see how the defensive shift uh, shift changes things going forward. And as waiters, and I think a few people have mentioned, what we really need is robot umpires to call balls and strikes right now in the major leagues. I would certainly support that right now. It's um, but the MLB umpires union has always been pretty strong and. They're still hanging, uh, still hanging on right now. Um, all right, let's get the marbles up, Remo. Speaking of baseball, though, and I know a lot of people, P. T. Clonopoli and uh, Kabilis in chat mentioning fish tonight on the road. 
Um, still really feeling for Max Murphy and the team overall. I mean, you know, you get that big win over Fargo in game one of the playoffs, but completely overshadowed, honestly, by a gruesome uh, broken leg by Max Murphy going in to score at home plate. And, you know, the fact that the next day he was announced as the player of the year in the entire league for the Winnipeg Gold Eyes, just an absolutely huge loss for the Fish. That being said, they've got two chances to win a game in Fargo and stay alive and come back for more baseball at Shaw Park. Game two goes tonight. If the Gold Eyes win, they'll be back to Winnipeg getting ready for the second round of the playoffs. If they lose, there'll be a third and deciding game played Saturday in Fargo. All right, Remo, what the, how are we looking? How many marbles? We got to get a few extra people in. Let's uh, make sure we get Hacksaw in there. Yeah, we got 147, so that's good. And nicely that, done. Yeah, nicely done. And so then who else do you want? Hacksaw in? Hacksaw is going to get one. Rewiki will get one. Yeah. Ed Tate will get one. Mm. Um, Nick Dembski for yeah. his appearance on the program. Definitely we've got to get Dembski on here. And um, anyone else that we should People uh, we were should saying Sarah Leski should get one. Gets her final Sarah, game. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, and Mike Wynn. Shout out to Mike reminding everyone that it's uh, not a home game, uh, but the Bisons, big game tonight playing in Alberta. Had a tough start to the season, although they still have high hopes for the year, losing at home last Friday night to Sask. So uh, looking to get to one and one for the herd and look forward to doing something. Maybe we'll get Coach Doby on in the next week or two for the latest on the Manitoba Bisons. But uh, yes, of course, Sarah Orleski, final game tomorrow. Uh, I know that it was really nice to see the reception and the thanks that she got last week in her second last game, or at least second last bomber game taken on the riders in that banjo bowl in the uh, Labor Day classic. Uh, and uh, I know that there'll be a nice farewell to Sarah from the TSN crew. Although for those of us in Winnipeg, we'll get a chance to see Sarah probably on a daily basis in her new role with the Winnipeg Jets. And and one other thing I should mention before we kind of get back to the laughs and fun of the game, uh, you know, of marbles as well as tomorrow's game, a joint statement from the Riders and the Bombers came out earlier this year. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers and Saskatchewan Rough Riders stand together in remembering and honoring the victims, the horrific tragedy that took place in the James Smith Cree Nation and the village of Weldon, Saskatchewan. Both teams will wear special commemorative stickers on their helmets during Saturday's game, and a moment of silence will be held prior to kickoff. The stickers will bear the letters of JSCN for James Smith Cree Nation in red, the color of healing in the Cree culture. So well done to both the Bombers and the Riders um, in honoring the victims as um, the healing begins for um, just an unspeakable tragedy uh, as well as a manhunt that certainly gripped the country uh, but had everybody on edge, especially in Saskatchewan, but also here in Manitoba. Yeah, well done there by the uh, by the bombers and the riders putting out the statement and the commander of logo acknowledging the tragedy from from last week. Uh, pretty pretty uh, horrific seeing the details of that. So well done, uh, well done by them. All right, marbles time. Let's get let's yeah, get I got, it. I got one more that I got to add in. People are asking for this one. Uh, we're asking the start, so thanks to everyone who reminded me. The Queen, Queen Elizabeth II, passed away oh, we're yesterday. Give the Queen a marble. Okay, you know what? People, I'm, I'm the chat has spoken. I'm not going to go yeah. against them. 
Okay. I will say, I said this to you before. I've seen, you know, usually when, when people die, it's a somber occasion, but I've seen a lot of like big accounts on Twitter making like jokes about the queen's death. Like, uh, Kevin Durant ready. They got enough cap space for him or he's ready to join something like that. I'm, I'm pretty like, I can't believe what I'm seeing out there. I gotta be honest. I, I don't think I've ever seen yeah. that many jokes on Twitter it, following a, a death. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm no monarchist by any stretch of the imagination, but, um, you know, there's a lot of people that are really impacted by it. You can certainly see the way the news coverage of it. And, um, you know, for people that are older than us, I mean, and, uh, you know, certainly our parents, I mean, if you're, if you're uh, you know, Canadians and grew up in Canada, I mean, the Queen had a, probably a very different place in the culture than maybe had right now at her advanced age. But um, um, absolutely, it'll be something. And, uh, uh, you know, as I said, you know, over in uh, Great Britain, um, you know, everything is basically stopped. Um, they've got a 10-day period of mourning. Uh, but as we mentioned, just kind of bringing it back to sports for a minute, DP World Tour Championship um, stopped yesterday. If they're not playing today, they will resume tomorrow and play 54 holes. So, um, you know, so you know what? RIP the queen, give the queen a marble and, uh, we'll see how, uh, see how she can do against the rest of the WST crew. Are they going to change the money here now in Canada? Cause she's not, the... I, saw, I saw I, someone suggesting I've... that the fives, tens and twenties should turn into Ricky, Julian and bubbles from the trailer park boys. And I, 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 have to, I laughed so hard. At I that. saw a mock up that had like Kyle Lowry and sunglasses and the Larry O'Brien trophy on one of them. And like Brett, the Hitman heart, like in his leather jacket, I would be for that. And like who Carly Ray Jepsen. So I've seen some good Carly stuff. Ray Jepsen. <laughs> then it, it got kind of, it got kind of downhill, but if they want to put Bret Hart in his leather jacket and sunglasses on the, on the money, I think that's great. I'm, I'm here for that. All right. Okay, listen, we've gone way late. We got to get these podcasts up. So let's no, get wanna... to the marbles. Okay, which, oh, I got to do this. Should I do the song before we pick the track? Uh, Yeah, yeah. You know what? Let's get the song, the extended version, Tristan Rivers music, getting us into the weekend with Friday Marbles on WST. It's Tristan Rivers, what an incredible, it's maybe my favorite moment of the entire week when we play Tristan Rivers, the Marbles intro, because we know we're just about at the end of the show and we're just about at the start of the weekend, but the weekend does not start on Winnipeg Sports Talk until someone has won the Marble Race. Uh, all right, Reem, we've got the correct grouping of entrants from today. I just put in this week's, yeah, I almost forgot. Perfect. I've done we're that. We're good. Where I kept last week. And now, what are we thinking? I don't know. Mountain What's, Mingle? Yeah, Mountain Mingle seems pretty cool. That sounds like a good one. Yeah. 
All right, we're in for Mountain Mingle. 153 entrants, including the Queen. We are starting. This is the Mountain Mingle. I'm not sure whether we've done this one before, but uh, we've got 153 marbles in. Good luck to everyone. Again, the winner of the marble race will get a... Uh, we just don't... We're out of double X right now, but I think we've got all the other sizes. Shout out to Dave the Fantasy, by the way, who won last week. Popped by and... Uh, Caught me out on the town last night, but I remembered the sweatshirt and got Dave. So maybe you could be hooking up with me next week to pick up yours. Uh, 153 marbles in Banjo Bowl weekend is here. Let's drop the marbles and see who is our weekly winner on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Let's go. And we're off. Here we go. Here we go. Interesting start. It wasn't the big funnel like we've had before. It's a little different. And uh, ooh, Jet Oil Tom. Mo Trucka, brown-eyed girl in the mix right now. K number nine. A good start. Very important when we've got this number of marbles. And whoa, look at brown-eyed girl, MJD. Uh, just a absolute clinic getting out of the uh, the first section of the race. iHeart Gaming, another regular right there. And now things are going to get slowed up a little bit. But uh, brown-eyed girl and iHeart Gaming going in opposite directions I heart on the right, brown eye girl on the left, and things have tightened up a little bit right now in the mountain mingle here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Um, uh, no clear runaway leader, although it does look like brown eyed girl MJD. And I don't think brown eyed girl MJD has ever won before, but certainly has been one of our most loyal regulars on the program for, uh, well, really for a heck of a long time since we started the show. Um, girl MJD with the lead after that strong, strong start. Uh, we've got Craig coming up right behind. Although the leaderboard does change quite a bit considering the uh, the nature of this. Uh, now Brown Eyed Girls into the funnel. Uh, Lori loving life on the other side, looking pretty good. And Brown Eyed Girl continues the lead with a very slight lead over Craig. I believe it's Craig Scapancy, if I can read that properly. All right, Brown Eyed Girl, MJD. Lori Loving Life in the lead over on the other side with a slight lead over Brown Eyed Girl, MJD. And wow, what a great transition by Lori Loving Life in first place into the tube. And now we'll look to try to extend the lead going down the stretch. Lori Loving Life, I believe, is our leader. B. Henderson over on the other side. Donnie as well. And uh looks like Lori took a nice, but B. Henderson with a smooth move. And oh, Lori got busted oh. by that move. Peg City dude, though. Who's it gonna be? We had a few once. Rob Crane out of nowhere. Wait, what happened? Getting oh, man. the boost. There is a boost. There is a there's a thing that threw some of them in. Oh, there was so a shortcut. Got, I missed there, it. There was some sort of a shortcut that went in. Oh, Rob Kane shoot. with the win. Hey, Honor, North End Ninja, uh, Peg City Dude in fourth. Looks like Donnie Boy, K9, B Henderson, Rowicki and Ed Tate with top 10, uh, top 10 performances as well. Wow, I'm, Rowicki and Ed Tate, Colorado Lowe's, Frosty Winnipeg, and Mike Irving. Oh, there's Nick Dembski getting thrown over the top rope. 
Ugh, I'm gonna throw something. I got totally faked out there. It was like when they do a play action, and there was a, <laughs> there was it was too good. I guess I missed this other this alternate thing. I got caught on following a. Glory it's always interesting. Life. Always interesting when we do do new. That um, sucked. Do we do do new ones? Uh, I actually like that ca- that course though. That there was course a lot was going good. On. I just didn't know about that shortcut. I thought it was going to be straight, so that was um. That's that's the magic. Uh, that's the magic of it. It looks like Prairie Boy and One Bird might get burnt by the fire before it's done. Oh no! One Bird's getting thrown up. Is One Bird going to get in? Yes, we are. Rob Kane, well done. Another first time winner on WST. Rob, what we need you to do? Fire us an email: Winnipeg Sports Talk at Gmail dot com. Uh, obviously, make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel. I'm sure you are already. Everyone should be. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll hook you up with the hoodie at some point next week. Um, man, this was fun. A little bit of a slower week. Certainly not a lot of Jets news, but man, a lot of excitement for this football game tomorrow. A full slate of NFL action. And Reem, the Monday shows once we get into NFL season, some of my funnest of the entire year, especially once we've got hockey to come out of the weekend as well. We're getting back into that busy time, and this is going to be a busy weekend for fans of both three-down and four-down football. And next week, we will have some Jet stuff to talk about. Jimmy Thomas is going to join us from Penticton as things get going on the rookie showcase for some of the Jets prospects before camp and main training camp here in Winnipeg in just a couple weeks. Yeah, people ask me to replay the race, and uh, I don't think that's possible. Yeah, no, we can't replay the entire race. A, well, we got to get out because well, we got to get these podcasts. Well, not to redo it, just, just to show the finish. I, I can't. There's, there's not a... Yeah, no, but you know what? You can always go back on YouTube and watch it. That's the beauty of having this on YouTube. And uh, by the way, you can always leave a comment as well on YouTube after we're finished, but we obviously love everyone's activity in the chat. All right, awesome week and real fun show to finish it off today. Thanks to Ed Tate, Brandon Rewicki, Hacksaw for joining us. Everybody in the chat, tell a friend about WST. Say hi if you see me at the Banjo Bowl tomorrow. Cannot wait. Should be a very festive atmosphere in Winnipeg. And uh, make sure to join us on Monday with a full recap of the weekend in the Canadian Football League, week one of the NFL. We'll get ready for Russell Wilson's Seattle return on Monday Night Football as well. And, of course, look ahead to the Winnipeg Jets getting back on the ice very soon here in the peg. For Michael Remus, I'm Andrew Patterson. Thanks to the sponsors that make this show happen each and every day. And most of all, for you for making us a part of yours. Have a great weekend, everybody. Go blue. We'll see you on Monday. Oh, my God. Shut it down. Let's go home. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.